tip today in association with Slattery's of Pecan, your main Peugeot dealer for over 50 years in the Premier County. Slattery'sGarage.ie Welcome along to Tip Today, 1800-938-007. That's our free phone number. Won't cost you to make a call. Emma is looking after the uh, programme today. It is winter solstice, the 21st of December, the shortest day of the year. And I hope we find you very well today. Um, This morning, we'll have a wide range of content as usual, including an interview with a Sinn Féin local election candidate. Ali is in Nina visiting the community food bank there. Updates from the Farmer's Journal. We have a preview of this week's uh, seasonal Down Your Way programme and a guest appearance by 14-year-old singer-songwriter Larkin Kennedy. So all of that and much, much more on the way. We have a €100 voucher for Dove Hill to give away to and I'll tell you more about that a little later on in the programme. Let's have a look at the front pages today. The Irish Indo leading with the story that hospitals are on a drive to empty wards of as many patients as possible in a bid to avert uh, another dangerous spike in trolley gridlock uh, after the new year. The Irish Daily Mail, their main story, a blame game has erupted between the government and the Gardaí over an arson attack at a hotel earmarked for refugees amid claims that the Gardaí had not been briefed on plans to move asylum seekers into the building. Now, yesterday, uh, Leo Varadkar contradicted a claim by the Commissioner, Drew Harris, that the force was not informed of plans to move 70 uh, refugees into Ross Lake House Hotel in Rossacahal in uh, County Galway. So there's a bit of argy-bargy going on there to the Irish Examiner. And they're leading with the story that investigators uh, believe that uh, the 300 kg cocaine seizure in Foynes in uh, County Limerick uh, was to be, t- uh, to be distributed nationwide and that a single drug gang, uh, as opposed to a network of groups, was behind uh, that. Also on the um, Irish Examiner today, the government has uh, changed its procedures for setting meetings with the Taoiseach after um, he was duped into a fake video conference with Russian pranksters and that's right across the newspapers today and uh, uh, the Taoiseach himself is uh, claiming that he played along with a prank phone call by two Russian comedians posing as uh, African uh, diplomats. He's also saying that uh, afterwards the footage was edited uh, in some way to make him look a bit foolish, I suppose. Um, The Irish Times and uh, they're leading with the story that the UK government reacted angrily yesterday to news that the Irish government is to challenge the UK and the European Court of Human Rights over its controversial uh, legislation to deal with the legacy of the North's troubles. And uh, that's a look at what's in your newspapers today. If you want to make comment on any of that, we'd love to hear from you. Text WhatsApp 083 311 Of course, you can email tiptoday at tipfm.com. Now, this week, Tipperary Sinn Féin announced its latest group of local election candidates, selecting four candidates for the Nina, Rosgrey, Templemore, Newport and Thurless LEAs of North Tipperary. One of those candidates is Rosgrey, Templemore representative uh, Brendan O'Cohor and he joins me now. Brendan, good morning to you. 
Hey, good morning, friend. Thanks for having me on. You're very welcome and good to talk to you today. You were forced to emigrate to Brendan during the last uh, right. recession. Just if, I, if I could just start, friend, I'd just like to give my condolences to the Fitzgerald family in Ross Grey and the passing of Chris Fitzgerald, who is a lifelong member of the party up in Ross Grey. We had a few, and he sadly passed there recently, so just like to give my condolences to the family. Oh, indeed, and our condolences to the family as well. As I was saying, you were forced to emigrate during the last recession, so are you bringing a certain perspective then to your candidacy because of that? Well, I suppose, yeah, look, like like a lot of young people there, when I when I finished up my education, there was no prospect of a, of meaningful employment in, in Ireland due to, due to recession, so I had to leave the country. And, and I made a choice to come back because in 2019 I was getting married and I wanted to raise my family in Ireland. And I've seen it again now. I'm seeing, I'm seeing it with rising rents, rising house prices. Uh, we're seeing the generation after me, the younger people again, are in the same situation. They're leaving again. And I think we're, we're, we're repeating the same mistakes less than 10 years on. It's just not good enough. And what did you find when you came back? Because you had a very young family, so I guess you were looking for a home and the like. What, what was your experience of that? Well, I couldn't find a place. I couldn't find a place to buy because I, I was like, I had been working in the country. I had pub, yeah, but okay, got, I was lucky enough, rents hadn't gone too mad yet, so I'm set up in kind of a long-term rental up, in, up there in Drum and I've been mm. kind of settled into the community nicely and I'm planning plan to stay in that area for, for the rest of my life if I can. But, um, but I mean, at the same time, I'm very conscious of the fact that with the way prices are going and with the way rent is going and stuff, but if if I had to move in the morning, I'd be, I'd be hard-pressed to be able to afford to stay in Ireland. So is it fair to say then that one of your priorities will be affordable housing, I suppose? Oh, of course. And I mean, one of the things that motivated me to run is uh, we we were looking at the council's housing figures and they haven't delivered a single affordable home in, tip, in Tipperary despite having 3,572 people on the housing list. And even when it comes to social housing, their own by their own figures, they're looking to build 186,000 a year over the lifetime of the current council development plan. If they didn't do that, it would still leave over 2,000 people on the housing list. So they're effectively going to stand still. They're not going to make, they're not going to improve the situation. And and what about you? I mean, just personally, if you were to do something about that, what would you do? Because there's no doubt it's a very complex situation. I know your party leader over the weekend came out and said she'd like to slash Dublin house prices down to 300,000. They're currently at about 430 or so. You'd wonder how you could do that without, you know, uh, well, well, affecting what's happening in the economy, for example, and negative equity that you might cause with people in existing high mortgages. It's it's not an easy fix. Oh, no one's ever claimed it's an easy fix. And I don't think there'd be a young person listening to the radio this morning that would disagree with the idea that house prices need to come down. Uh, but look, we have a plan to develop, to build 21,000 social and affordable homes over the lifetime of our government. Now, to start at local level, that would mean more resources and more ambitious targets for local for local authorities to move beyond just trying to stand still to actually look at reducing the amount of people on housing lists and in half. And in half. Now, to do that, we obviously you need you need to build. You need to bring the derelict houses back in back into use. I mean, we had a we have over 160,000 derelict homes in this country. So it's not really a case that we don't have the homes. Now, they're not all in the right location, but some of the scarcity is is to a degree artificial in that the homes are there with the right incentives. They could be brought back into the market at a relatively low cost. So this is a priority for for you. The uh, Again, the only thing I, I'd say to you is, and I'm not doubting your ambition here, 
but you know, a lot of the great and good have had a shot at this over the time, and you know, I mean, it would be the in the interest of government parties to to sort this or make an attempt to sort it, and it appears that it's it's extremely difficult, you know. Well, it also appears that they've made choices that they didn't want. I mean, one simple thing they could have done is they could have removed vulture funds and reach from the market, and they chose not to do that. That would have taken in investment buyers out out of the equation. As as a stand now. First-time buyers, you're competing with with commercial landlords for properties in all the major urban centres, and the government could have simply banned them from the market. They chose not to do so. Yeah, of course, you know, I mean, there is a fair old chance that Sinn Féin might lead a, a future government, but to do so, you'd end up having to get into bed with some existing party that could possibly be Fianna Fáil with, you know, an ideology that we're all aware of at this point. I mean, how how would you sort of deal with that? Look, we have, we have our policy platform. We're going to the people, asking them to vote for Sinn Féin, for Sinn Féin politicians, implement Sinn Féin policies. Now, if it comes to a negotiation of government, there, there would be a special audition where Sinn Féin membership would have to, would have to approve the program government. And like always, there's a bit of horse trading in the, in, in the program government. But why would we very, very reluctant to, to support any government that wasn't committed to if it's any help to you in your candidacy, I have to say that from what we're hearing from listeners in here, um, one of the big issues, maybe the biggest, in fact, in the upcoming elections will be that of immigration. Um, and uh, Brendan, you've taken a hard stance on the issue when most people are struggling with this and the whole question of immigration. Can you just be clear, where exactly do you stand on that? Well, I wouldn't say I've taken a hard stance. I mean, when I, as in my capacity as a local rep and working alongside Martin, Martin Brown TD here in first in training to Prairie, we've written to the Minister for Integration about about local concerns with regards to the, the housing of uh, Ukrainian refugees in the old common in Ross Bay. We were the first political party to do so. We take on board two of these concerns on these issues. I suppose, look, what I'm coming at, I'm coming at a, I come at it from a point of view that there's an asylum, there's an asylum policy in place. Now, people can have their opinions on and the criticisms of it, but the basic facts of it sometimes get get lost in these discussions. Like, I mean, just to give one example, on your show here the other day, we had someone claim that immigration is affecting housing. That's simply not the, not the case because they're all housed in these for-profit, privately run acquisition centres. None of them get, get social or private housing. Some asylum seekers end up coming out of these uh, hotels and provision centres into houses, and we, we have examples of that here, so there's no doubt that that is, is happening. So, but, uh, which case, then, it's, it's, it's the same as a, normal, uh, as, a normal, as a normal migrant worker, so someone who's in the same situation as myself who has to leave mm. their home country yes. and seek employment. And, and again, with the, with the volume of vacant homes and with the money we have in the economy, there shouldn't be a housing crisis it's, it's an, art, it's an artificial right. but, but there, due to policy but, decisions. But, but there is a, a housing crisis. And just, you, you brought up what you said about the programme uh, there a couple of days ago on social media, and you said that we, you know, deliberately brought on people to justify... Well, I didn't say you deliberately brought on people. I said, you, you did, I said there were people on the show that... No, 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 it's, a, it's, a, it's in front of me here, Brendan. You said uh, Fran Curry and Tip FM brought on people to justify the attack and to spout general anti-immigrant lies about housing. Well, one, I said, one, I said look, there were a few things that were said that just simply weren't true, so I, so I thought it was very good to have 
someone from Dor- from uh, from I think with Dorothy Dorothy and Andrew Day who works mm. in the sector who can at least give out the basic facts. Yeah, but, but do people you, can do have you, an opinion either way. Of, of course, but I mean, I, I don't have a. Very good I, I, all all we do is we give people we give people a a platform where they can give their points of view, and sometimes those points of view are are opposing. But do you, do you take that back that I brought on people to justify that attack? Because I prefaced well, every single chat with getting people to say that that was, you know, like, just... Yeah, OK. And I would not say that you didn't justify, but I would say that the people that came on, in, in effect, may might be speak from a position of, mis- of misinformation. And I think there's an onus on us all, be the public reps, media, to make sure that that in these discussions, the truth is always the starting point. Well, I mean, the truth, I mean, is surely the truth is somebody's opinion. I mean, that is their opinion. But I mean, to say that people were brought on to justify the attack when they were at pains. But anyway, look, it's a whole other discussion anyway at this point. But uh, your party leader said that it was legitimate for people struggling with housing, for example, to ask what happens to them in response to an increase in, in uh, migration. As I said, of course it is. We've never shied away from engaging with people and their concerns. Like being in public meetings in North Grey, around around where concerns such as these have come up, we look. But we always go back to inform people that the solution to this crisis is more housing. That we have a housing crisis. We don't have an immigration. We don't have an immigration crisis per se. We have people coming to the country through different streams that the government seems to have made purposely confusing. There's a different system for for asylum seekers, be they Ukrainian or be they from other wars, wars and then there's a different system for what you would call, for lack of a better word, ordinary migrants who are just coming here to work. And the government seems to have made it clear as more and there's very little engagement with local, with local communities. Look, people have a right to know what's happening mm. in their areas, and that's something that Sinn Féin will always support. We always have. It's been... It was in our election manifesto in 2020. Okay, well, well, well let, me, let me pick you up on, the, on that then, Brandon. I mean, the 70, you know, single men who were going to be placed in that rural area of County Galway um, with very little notice there, w- was that wrong to do that? Yes, of course it was wrong. I said that would be that would be Sinn Féin's It was wrong to do it in a way that, that didn't inform local communities, that didn't let reps rep and communities... I'll give you just an example of how it should work. We have... Through the Syrian resettlement scheme, there's a group of families that were moved to my local area up in Timpermore. And through the work of the NTDC and other groups, there was, a, there was a integration policy more or less put in place where, like, they and they settled well into communities. Kids in the local school, there have been a few small, a few events to get them to know people in the area, and, and it's worked. These people are part, are part of the community now. I don't think anyone in Timpermore would say they've had any issues with them. I know mm. I haven't heard any, any anyway, and... That's, and and what, what, what about Ross? What about Ross Gray, Brendan, which will be part of your area? I mean, there's huge issues, huge issues in Ross Gray. Well, yes, well, Ross Gray is kind of unique in some towns in that it both has what you what you call a direct prison centre, dealing with asylum seekers from places mm. such as Afghanistan, and Afghanistan, Nigeria, other conflict zones, and then you have a Ukrainian accommodation to that. Basically, ran like a direct prison centre, but it's not been called that. And obviously, you know, there's a separate scheme for Ukrainians, which I don't personally think is justified. I think in asylum seekers and asylum people, no matter where they come from. And but uh, look, as I said, I've been to public meetings in Ross Grey on this issue. I've spoken with lots of residents. So it, it comes the, the concerns around the centre is first of all, it's privately run, so somewhat so people are making money off this off this kind of scheme. There, mm-hmm. people are housed in Ross, they're moved into Ross Grey, they're kept there for a certain amount of time. So sometimes they're moved to other centres. 
sometimes they say they're for other purposes. But mm. it always come and go on people, so it's very hard to integrate them or to give right. them a sense But, but do, do, we need, do we need a harder line in terms of who's coming into the country, how long they should stay here? Um, because it seems that that's, you know, that's going to be happening. Even the government is admitting now that uh, there, there are capacity issues, and there certainly are, because, you know, some of these people are now living on the streets in tents. Well, I suppose, look, yeah, I suppose, look, it's always been the party's policy, as long as I can remember, and I've been a member for 10 years, to oppose direct provision on the grounds that we don't think this kind of system should be opened up to private profit and exploitation. But beyond, and, uh, and there's a limit of time people spend in it, uh, just, just take too long. You need a system where people come, claim an asylum, have their applications processed, they're assessed, they're found to be genuine, or they're not. And, if they're, and they're either like it on to life, or they're, or they're removed from the country. And that's always been Sinn Féin's position. Mm. I, I, yeah, I, I, I'm not so sure about that, because it certainly, it seems to me that Sinn Féin has, is doing a little bit of a turnaround uh, recently, and maybe it's just an awareness that kind of, you know, three and four people now believe that um, we're taking in too, too many refugees, you know, and, uh, and a, a lot of your own uh, supporters would believe that as well. I think 80% of Sinn Féin supporters, in fact, uh, believing that according to, to recent polls. So uh, it, it, it's going to be interesting to know how you patch all of this together within your own party, for example. Well, as I said, our, our policy has been clear. Within our 2020 election manifesto, if you if anyone wants to have a look at it, it's looking like it's going to be the same policy going into, the, going into this election. There was no change at, the, at any yard since, since 2020. We still opposed to exclusion, we still believe applicants should be processed in a timely fashion and that ultimately failed applicants should be removed from the country, that, this, that you have an asylum system, it has it has to function. All right. Um, health, um, I guess, is the other big, big story and in North Tipperary, God knows, there's there's a lot of issues there as well. I presume that's very high on your agenda, isn't ah, well, it? Well, again, as someone who returned to the country, I'm... I'm feeling the brunt of it. I have two young daughters, but I can't get a GP in Artipari. Yeah. In Artipari, so I'm still. So we're still registered with my with my wife's family GP down around Tip Town. So, so I'm very acutely aware of the issues affecting the ser- the healthcare service in Tipperary. Like we've one GP in Timpermore, there's one in Barfly, and they're they're both over they're both overburdened over the side with patients. It's, it's they won't take. They, as I said, they, they can't take on new patients. So we need. Reinvestment in services, in services, in in health, mm, and and still money seems to be thrown at health all of the time. But but with um, little consequence, you know. I mean, I'm just just you know. I mean, look at look at the kind of uh, money that we're throwing at the health service, and we're we're not seeing dividend. No, I suppose look like every there has to be some bit of accountability for the heads of the heads of departments in these issues. As I said, if it's getting budget increased, I can't believe it. Now, look, I we I am aware of some of that will have been eaten up by inflation like everything else. But for the money that's been spent on the service and for the money that people pay into the service through, ta- through their taxes, we're entitled to expect that we can see a GP, that we can get a hospital appointment in a timely fashion. I mean, look, it's, look Sinn Féin believes that we should have, that we should have a, a health service, that we should develop an Irish NHS, have a health service that's, that's eventually free to find interviews for, for everyone. I mean, that's far from what we have now in Tipperary. In Tipperary, we have people waiting years for appointments, uh, Giving up and going private at enormous personal cost, taking out credit union loans to get their children assessed for autism and other, and and for other very and for other treatments. Like I know the one people I know who've contacted me about getting cataract treatments done privately because they just can't wait. I mean, if you're like waiting for HSE, you'll go blind. 
All right, Brendan. Well, we wish you well in uh, the election and a happy Christmas to you and uh, your family as well. Thanks for talking to me today. That's Brendan O'Cahor there speaking to us uh, this morning. Election uh, candidate for Sinn Féin in uh, the Roscoe Temple Moor. Uh, LEA um, 1800 The text and WhatsApp is only three three double one double three double one. Tip today with Fran Curry with Slattery's Garage. Puck on! You can't beat experience. With over fifty years maintaining Peugeot cars and vans, we like to call ourselves the experts. Call Slattery's Garage for a free vehicle health check today. Oh six seven two four one 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 or slatterysgarage.ie. Now, we've been hearing stories about thousands of people queuing in Dublin for food vouchers this Christmas, but what about Tipperary people in need of help this Christmas? Our reporter, Alison Highland, is in Nina today at Loretto House there on Kenyon Street with the Community Food Bank. Good morning, Ali. Yeah, good morning, Fran. I'm here at a busy Loretto House this morning uh, where the food bank is well underway, has been open since nine o'clock this morning, actually. Uh, and Sandra Farrell is here with me as well. Sandra, last time I was here in February, it doesn't feel like it was that long ago in February, uh, but we were talking about the cost of living, how inflation is affecting people. Just a few days to Christmas now. Have you seen that ease for families at all or has it gotten even worse? Unfortunately, to say, Ali, it's actually got worse. Uh, usually summer, we get slower, you know, because um, I suppose people are on holidays, they can afford to go on holidays. Food poverty, we didn't think was such a big issue around even the summer. But during the summer, our numbers shot up. Yeah. And that's not from people from other countries coming in. That's our own here on the ground. Mm. Uh, today here at the, the Christmas Food Bank, we'll give out over... Uh, 200 food parcels. Wow. Um, this time last year we we're probably only doing about 120, 130. So that's 70 extra families that are coming today. And they're coming not just from Nina. They might travel from even mid-tip, south-tip. They might come across the border from Offaly. Yeah. And when it comes to food poverty, there is no borders. Mm. Senator, tell us about the food bank in Nina then. How long has it been operating here? So we're operating over five years which is incredible to see. So we've seen five sad Christmases. Yeah. Uh, there's always a tinge of sadness at Christmas when it comes to the food bank and uh, the people's need is heightened. I, I'd love to say it's a really jolly day. We try to make it jolly. We're all in Christmas festive spirit yeah. here. We have extra treats because the public around Christmas always give extra donations to us. So we're able to maybe give out a, big, a few selection boxes today, extra maybe kiddies things that we have. Uh, but that's depending on the public's generosity. And to be honest, every year that's, that is amazing. Yeah. Um, so five years in operation. Uh, the volunteers have been amazing. I I can't do the food bank without the volunteers. Mm. Uh, we've exceptional people here for over the last five years. Uh, their continuous support, especially John Heffernan. You know, he gives. Uh, he's his trucking company, but he goes in once a month into Midwest Simon to pick up our food consignment. Comes out here free of charge, not a bother. And, you know, people like John Heffernan, we have Marie Malloy, we have Breda Scanlon, we have Damien O'Donoghue, um, Viv O'Connor. There's many, many here. Mm. And behind the scenes, um, we have people backpacking. And they could be backpacking about a week before the food bank. And um, we can't do it without them. So I might be the face of the food bank, but to be honest, it wouldn't be here without the amazing volunteer. How many volunteers do you have here? Overall, about, about 10, 12 of us. Yeah. Yeah, uh, and it's consistent. And the biggest thing for me around the volunteers is around confidentiality. Yeah. You know, it takes a lot of courage 
to come up to the door here in Kenyon Street and ask for food. And I always say non-judgment as well, mm. because we're very quick to judge about the size of the house we have, the car we have, but people don't have extra cash uh, for food and that causes the food poverty here. So, you know, we can't judge anybody. Yeah. And this morning I see there's new people coming here and queuing and that breaks my heart because yeah. they're feeling the pinch of Christmas and it's just to get a welcome smile, no questions asked, just a name and walk away with a bit, bit of dignity, yeah. hopefully. I was going to ask you that. Do you have families or people that have come today that you mightn't have seen maybe previously but they come for Christmas and the pressure that Christmas puts on families? Uh, absolutely. Uh, you know, one man came there this morning, a man in his late, he's probably late 60s and and uh, his head hanging because he was mortified. Yeah. But he went away with a smile and that's what it's about. Yeah. Is there still that shame maybe attached to a lot of people coming here? Massive, massive shame. Um, I would get people contact me on through social media, Facebook, my mobile, and uh, saying, look, I can't come to the door. Will you meet me somewhere? Yeah. Some of the volunteers would do that, yeah. 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 And it wouldn't be possible, of course, without the help of local businesses as well. I know they've been yeah. very supportive. Local business have been amazing. And when it comes to the Meals on Wheels, Christmas Day because we'll give out about 250 dinners now on Christmas Day here so it's kind of like an offshoot from the food bank it developed for the last five years as well uh, business have been amazing you know you have Marie and Endishi up in uh, Centra you have Richard's Takeaway you have Flavic up in Romano's uh, you have Dean Quirk, you have the High B, then the family give up their restaurant bar, hand it over to us, and their chef, Declan Burke, is amazing. And, like Declan's actually out with a, a clavicle shoulder injury, but he's wow. wrapping up and coming in for Christmas Day. And then you have these volunteers, Daniel Morrissey, D. O'Brien. Like the list, I could keep going and going. And uh, just people are amazing. Yeah. And the community aspect here in Nina, we've seen it with Shane McGowan's funeral, people rallying together. Mm. That's not just for one day, that's all year round. Yeah. So I'm proud to be from Nina. Yeah, absolutely. Tell me then what's included in a package that people get then today? Yeah, you know, there's different, there's food parcels for families and then singles. Uh, it's only bare minimum. You get two tins of beans, peas, cereals, porridge, pastas, um, tomato sauce for the pastas. You get your can of tuna or salmon, your teas, coffees, you know, so it might keep a family going for maybe two, three meals if you're very stuck. Yeah. Uh, and same single bag is just half by one, you know, yeah. so, um, yeah, it's, it's, it's very difficult. Uh, it's, you know, they come for so little, but to them, it may be so little in my eyes, but to them, that will feed family if they yeah. get stuck on a Monday or Tuesday. At least they have something, you know. When you look then at during the week, I mean, we saw people queuing at the Capuchin Centre in Dublin yesterday from two o'clock in the morning. I mean, we know this is a problem that's getting worse. Do you see anybody, either at a government level, political level, national level, trying to address the issues? You know, it's amazing at Christmas. They all talk about it. They all say, oh, we're wonderful. But I'd like to throw it back at them. Well, what are you doing? We shouldn't have a food bank in Nina. People shouldn't be queuing in Dublin, the Capitan Centre. Yeah. Uh, last night I had a guy, he's a manager of a homeless centre in Kilkenny, but he's very vigilant of 11 homelessness people in Clonmel that won't have a dinner on Christmas Day. And asked, could I actually bring it down to Nina? Of course we can. But then I asked the question, how are they going to heat it up? They can't heat up the dinner. Yeah. So, like, it's grand for the politicians and uh, people having, oh, you're wonderful, but we should not exist. Yeah. You know, that's the, the reality of it. Do you um, get any kind of help nationally or any? Are you just totally dependent on volunteerism and donations? Uh, I suppose they don't want to know that it's, it's here. 
it's like a, a hidden secret and it's out of view, out of mind. Um, where we get our funding is through the Fed programme. It's a European-led funding for the Midwest Simon. So they get the food in from the Fed programme and then they distribute it to us. No, we get absolutely no acknowledgement, no support from government. But where would it stop? There's so many of us nationally, everywhere. Mm. So, you know, I don't think they want to even look at us. Yeah. yeah. Uh, I'll come back to you again, Sandra. Pat is here with me. You might remember Pat Fran. We spoke to him back in February. He sang us a song. I think you're, you're going to sing us out again this year, Pat. But before we do that, tell us, when did you become a service user here? Well, I'm here for nearly three years now. Yeah. And the reason I'm here three years, like, is things uh, got really bad, like, uh, due to the fact I had health issues and things like that, like, you know. Yeah. But uh, once your work goes, like, it, it draws us really back to... Uh, a level that you don't have the money for everything that yeah. you need, like for household use and things like that, like, you know. Well, I suppose it highlights for, like, anybody could be in that position, doesn't it? Oh, it's so easy to go in that position. Yeah. If you lose your job, like, you can get in that position very quick, mm. especially, like, with the cost of living today, you yeah. know. And, and tell me, what, what when you come here then, how do you find it? Like, I, I, you're, you're always a, a regular fixture here anyway, so obviously you like everyone here and you love coming here. Oh God, yeah. That's why the why the centre is here, like yeah. is to help people really. And Sandra, like, and all the staff here are very good to the uh, persons that do come to the door. There's no problems, like mm. you know. Uh, as I said, you just uh, take your name, like, and you go away with a bag of food, like. I mean, it's great, like, it's, this time. But like, uh, as one would say, like, uh, it shouldn't happen really yeah. because there should be enough uh, resources there to help people mm. over that time, like, and. You know, I know the government are trying to do it, like, say, in, in stages, like, but really, truly, they need to be doing it the whole yeah. time, like, you know. Does it have an effect on you, then, in terms of emotionally and connecting with people? Because I imagine it's very isolating. Like you said, you, you found yourself injured and out of work, and, and then, you know, a, a, the situation became quite difficult for you. So coming here, connecting with people, obviously, played a big role, too. Oh, God, yes. Yeah. yeah. It, it, like, really helps the, the mental side of yeah. things, like, you know, and you meet somebody every week, like, and say, not only that, like, you you have a conversation with people, you know. Mm. Uh, some people might meet people like because they're living in, on the countryside, like yeah. for maybe a whole week, like or two weeks or whatever it is, you know. Yeah, and you realise you're not on your own; that everyone else has, has problems as well, and everyone else, you know, has similar issues. Oh God, yeah. yes, yeah. It's your, like people come from all walks of life yeah. uh, to the centre, like you know. Mm. But it's great to have it here, and I hope it keeps going, and I hope people will uh, support it, like you know. Absolutely. And there should be uh, central government should support it as well. Mm. All the centres like they should be supported every year, like you know. All right, Pat's going to warm up his vocal cords because we're going to come to him there just before we head back to studio. But I have two girls here as well, Fran, and they've dropped in vouchers as well today. Tell me, what's your name? Uh, I'm Lily, and I'm 11, and this is my sister, Ruth. Hi, Ruth. How are you? Good. Good. What class are you in? I'm in third class. And what class are you in? I'm in fifth class. And is Santi coming? Yeah. <gasps> what's he bringing? Um, Heelys. Heelys. Brilliant. What's Santi bringing for you? Um, new clothes. New clothes, good woman. It'll be lovely. I'm sure he'll come. I'm sure you've been very good, especially today. Tell me what you brought in for us this morning. Um, we brought in two Aldi vouchers and a little voucher because we recently had a Christmas market out in Ballycommon and we raised some money and we owe every market we do we choose a charity to donate half of it to, and we chose this charity oh. at this time. Tell me, why did you pick the food bank? Uh, well, it, we just find, found it like fascinating when Sandra took us back back to show us like everything that goes on. Yeah. We were just fascinated about how nice people are to volunteer. Yeah. 
Is it something maybe you'd like to do maybe when you're a little bit older? Maybe, yeah. You're setting a great example for the rest of us anyway at your age, raising money for it. Are you delighted to be here today to give up vouchers? Yeah. Yes. What does it mean to you, kind of just before Christmas, to help out families maybe who, who need it? It's nice to help out families because you think that you have lots of food and then you give it to them and you think yeah. that makes them really happy. Oh, good girl. You're very good, girls. Are you back to school now? Yes. Uh, you don't have long left. You're off tomorrow? Yeah. Oh, excellent. We wish you all the best. Wish you a happy Christmas and well done to both of you. You did a great job. Thank you. All right, well done. Um, we're going to go next to, it's, uh, it's Liam Marcy. Liam, how are you? I'm great, Ellie. Good, come on over here to the microphone, Liam. Sure, we can't hear you at all. I'm great, how are you? Not too bad. Tell me, what's your involvement in the food bank? I'm a volunteer with, with, with Sandra for as long as I can remember. Go back a few years and I also do the Christmas lunches with her. Um, I was born and bred in the town and I'd understand the, the issues and I'd know... I know the people that would be, you know, in need. Yeah. And um, there's an awful lot of people as well that um, don't come forward for whatever reason. Um, possibly the old stigma and, you know, the usual, a bit of shame to say that I need help, like. Yeah. I'd know those people. And those are the people I target, like. Yeah. You know? So I'm here this morning now just to do a few deliveries for, for Sandra and um, pass out a few vouchers and things that we through Sandra's donations and we'll, we'll help people the best we can, you know. Are you finding that the, the amount of people who want to volunteer and get involved and do what they can, is that increasing? Not really, no. no. It's the old, the old uh, thing with, with people is where you, you look for volunteers and 20 people jump up, arms up in the air, oh, yeah, I'll be there, I'll give you a hand and blah, blah, blah. But when it comes then to the actual nitty-gritty of rolling up your sleeves and doing a bit... Mm. They're thin on the ground, as, yeah. as they say, you know. It's, um, I, I don't know. There's certain, there's certain charities and certain, certain organisations that have no problem seemingly with volunteers, but this is a kind of a niche, you know. Everybody doesn't want to be... Why do you think that is, Liam? I suppose it's the old stigma again, yeah. and, you know, and there's, 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 the, there's the, the people who will knock what you're doing as well, like. Really? Oh, yes, yeah, yeah. Why is such a person getting help and why, you, you know, it's, 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 it's sad. And what do people base that on? Is it what Sandra said, that they're driving up in a car that people possibly, would say, well, they can't? Possibly, possibly. Yeah. But then you see a person drives up here in a car, but they might be collecting for somebody else yeah. or for, for their, their, their relations or their next door neighbour. And it's not, it's not, it's, you know, it's, it's people are judging, yeah. which I don't agree with, you know. Yeah. If a person comes here, they're coming here for, for one reason, because they need help. They need it. Yeah. You, you see the queue last night on, on, on 61 News in the Capuchin yeah. in Dublin. I think, I think there was over 2,000 people queued up yeah. for a 50 euro voucher, and the people that they interviewed were, 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 were Dubliners that, that said without that 50 euro, they weren't going to have a Christmas. Yeah. That's unbelievable, like. To actually to admit that the 50 euro they got yesterday was going to make their Christmas. Mm. That's serious, like. As Sandra was saying, because we were talking about the lack of national support, either government support or political support yeah. for people. Yeah. I mean, th there's still no real movement on that. What do you think needs to happen? Well, it, it needs to be, to be looked at and, 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 like, we're spending money in this country on... on crazy things like the environment I, okay I, don't get me wrong I'm not anti-environment or any of that but the amount of money that's been spent and the amount of money they're given to, to, to world 
uh, crisis and things. And we have it in this country. You know, I think we should really start at home. Get our own house in order first, and then whatever's left over, help other people. Because there are people in crisis in this country. In 2020, almost 24, we're still in crisis with 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 people in need. You know, yeah. and um, the next election could tell an awful lot, yeah. because people are are fed up with what's going on and and. You know, the like of Eamon Ryan travelling out to Dubai and he was going to come back, fly back and fly back again for a vote. Mm. Is it, you know, I mean, like, that wouldn't happen in anywhere else in the world, yeah. only in Ireland. Yeah. You know, and he's on about the, the, the fumes in the air and he was going to take, take four flights in three days. Do you see the situation improving at all in 2024? I would hope it will, but I wouldn't be unless there's a, a major shift in in government policies or government itself. Mm. You know, I mean, like I'm long enough around to know that it's the same people in power, same story, the same waiting lists in hospitals, the same uh, poverty there, the same you know housing, you name it. You could, I could say I could talk to you for two hours. Yeah, you know what I mean. Like it's unbelievable. Unbelievable. Is it very disheartening for you here because you're one of the volunteers here. You're on the front line, so you see that suffering. I see it every day. Yeah. Every day. I don't have to come down here to see it. I see it on the streets. I see it when when I'm talking to people. You know, it, 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 it's bad. The, the world is badly divided. Yeah. You know what I mean? Really, like it is, you know? Mm. But this is a great town and a great county for, for people to put their hand in their pocket. Yeah. So I've I done several collections there since since the start of December for the Rape Crisis Centre and for the Nina Min Shed. And everybody was just, you know, so generous with, with, their, with their donations. Yeah. Unbelievable, like. That's great. And we saw it as well during Shane McGowan's funeral. I mean, Nina oh, sure. was... Look, it, it, it put us on the map. Absolutely. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, you know, we are, we are, we're a very welcoming people. This was always known as a stranger's paradise. Because when I was a young lad, if you were from somewhere else, you'd get a dance quicker than with a girl than really? a local fella. Yeah, it was always known that way. <laughs> and still that way, I tell you. Liam, great to talk to no you. Problem, and Merry Annie. Christmas. All right. Many of them, many of them. Thanks very much. We're also going to speak to a student this morning. He's John O'Mara. He's an LCA student at Nina College. Uh, John, tell us why you're here this morning. Um, I've been invited up by Sandra Farrell to speak about... Um, money I donated um, yesterday. Um, I put together a fundraiser in my school, a Christmas jumper day, um, to help me raise money for... Uh, for services here? Yeah. Excellent. Tell me, how much did you raise? €455.30. Well done. And you're here then today to kind of observe what's happening. Tell me... What was your perception of the work that was done here at the food bank in Nina, first of all? To be completely honest, I expected this to be outside for some yeah. reason. I, I'd only have known this sort of thing to be in movies or TV shows. I'd never actually seen it in person myself. And I suppose seeing it in person, the type of people here, for starters, um, has me very impressed. Uh, I believe everyone here is very intelligent and kind and welcoming, um, which is something I hadn't put much thought into before I had arrived here. Yeah. Can I ask, because back in the day, a long, long time ago when I was your age, 
I probably had a preconceived notion that, that people who were coming here maybe were homeless. I wouldn't have had an awareness that they're everyday, normal people, some of them working, some of them not working, but everyone's struggles are different and it doesn't all have the same facade, if you know what I mean. Have you got that feeling here today? I would say that I most definitely have and just being here and seeing what's being done in here is very gratifying and hopeful. Uh, I think that a lot of struggles had by people um, helped here are not as descript mm. or as cliche as I would have imagined. Yeah. And being taught and having it explained to me what's done here and who for has been eye-opening as it's not what you expect. Yeah. And what do you take away from it then today? Um, I suppose there's more than what would meet the eye yeah. to people in need. Yeah. You can't base someone's needs simply off of how they present themselves. Okay. John, thanks so much for raising money. Is it something you're going to continue to do in the future? Um, if given the opportunity, most definitely. Excellent. Uh, listen, thanks so much for coming down. Abula Boss for John. Well done, John. Thanks for raising that money. Uh, we're going to speak to... Sorry, we're going to speak to Church of Ireland representatives next. So we're going to speak to Reverend Keith Barry, uh, first of all. Not the magician... Do you get that mistake a lot, Reverend? Uh, it is mentioned every now and again. <laughs> However, there is a great uh, uh, benefit to this, and that is if anyone tries to find out anything about me on Google, oh. the first 12,400,000 hits are not about me. And they're very impressed by you then. <laughs> they are. <laughs> so you're here today then with the Church of Ireland uh, because you, you also, of course, run the annual Christmas Tree Festival, which is a big help here as well to, uh, to all the services here. Tell us... How important is the food bank service to Nina? Well, when we were standing outside waiting uh, to come in, uh, there was a queue of people before 9 o'clock. Mm -hmm. And that tells you something about uh, the, the need here. And it's kind of hidden away. People don't, you know, the building outside looks kind of nondescript. Uh, but you see people who are actually obviously in need coming along. But the other thing is, I think a lot of people don't realise that there's a lot of... what one might consider to be or think of as a hidden epidemic yeah. of uh, poverty uh, and food poverty, uh, as well as fuel poverty, of course, uh, amongst people. And so people may look outwardly like they're doing fine, or indeed they might, you know, present to society as someone's got you know, a high-paid job yeah. or is doing very well, uh, but actually they may actually have a deep-seated financial need that is not seen by uh, everybody. Mm. Um, we're very good at projecting what we want people to see. Yeah, that's the thing. Um, and tell me then, the Church of Ireland, I know, have been another great help. Sandra was saying two services here. How, you know, we're coming to the end of 2023 now, and I spoke to Liam about this. Would you have, have hope for 2024 that maybe we'll be here this time next year and, God willing, there won't be anybody here who will need the services of the food bank? Well, wouldn't we all love to think that? Yeah. Uh, but I think the reality is that life is not like that. Uh, we're 
uh, coming out of a difficult economic time, still after COVID, and uh, people are migrating across the globe. Uh, you know, there are serious pressures on uh, all sorts of facilities, serious pressures on budgets, and the expectations for people's lives are sort of uh, becoming more uh, and more highly pressured in terms of what people expect day to day. Yeah. Um, so, you know, 100 years ago, 50 years ago, could we have ever thought that X amount of our salary was going to be automatically given to TV, to internet, uh, to various things that we can't live without now. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, th th they, they are all extra draws on our cash. So yeah. poverty is never going to be going away, I'm afraid. Uh, so there will always be a need for something like this. Can I ask you, Reverend, finally, what's your message to people this Christmas? My message is there is humanity in the manger. Uh, this is, you know, the best central message of Christmas is God becoming man and uh, taking all our faults uh, upon him and becoming as a, a, a man uh, completely human as well as completely divine. But he had faults because he was completely human and we all have faults and maybe the message for next year is just be aware that everybody is fighting a hard fight. Yeah, absolutely. Lovely to talk to you and Merry Christmas. Thanks Thank so much. Sandra, for anyone who's looking, I know it's probably too late now to donate um, items for the food bank, but for the new year, what can people do to help everyone here? I think to connect and reach out even through social media, we have a Facebook page, uh, the food, Nina Food Bank. Uh, what we love to see is people coming down on a Thursday morning to us, handing us a food bag of non-perishable items. Yeah. Because those items then we can give us extra. And at Christmas time, that's what happens. A bit like uh, when Keith was saying for their Christmas tree festival, what happened? Schools around the locality came in and brought a tin of beans or peas and put it under our Christmas tree yeah. that we had displayed. And that really, really touched my heart. Yeah. That the schools and the kids actually went out of the way to bring uh, food peas. But there's poverty 365 days of the year. And like when we give out the Meals on Wheels on Christmas Day, it, it just it, it pulls my heartstrings because there's 364 days that people may be struggling. And people say, oh, Sandra, you're fantastic. You're giving out Christmas Day dinner. No, I'm not. I don't have the ability to give out 364 days uh, the other days. Yeah. So like, it, it's, it's a difficult time, but I could walk up the street today now and people open their wallets and give me 50 euro. And I'd say, no, go in there to one of the local shops because we want to support, support the local community. Yeah. Give me a voucher maybe for O'Connor's uh, food market there or one of the butchers that I can actually hand to a family in need before Christmas. Mm. And that's what people are doing. Like we had, even on Facebook, I see a girl called Lisa Gleason. She raffled a, a bicycle, a new bike. She, this morning there was 500 euro handed to me from that. Wow. Um, like there's people like that in the community that are just handing money. Uh, during the year, then we had the Daily Family. They held a darts, a darts tournament, and I think they handed maybe 500 euro to us as well. Uh, then one lady there during the year came down. She wanted to give food to us. We had literally run out of food. We still had people queuing, and she went up to O'Connor's uh, food market and brought down bags of food to us. Mm. So the goodwill is there, but it seems to be heightened at Christmas. Yeah. And what we'd like is see it throughout the whole year. Like this morning, the first 45 minutes here, we give out 134 food parcels. That's phenomenal for us here. And that's where the Does it ever is. happen that you run out of stuff to give oh, people? Oh, absolutely, yeah. We could be hitting about quarter to 11 and uh, we have hardly no food left. So it's really like the loaves and the fishes and that's been yeah. bantered around lately with us because we might have to 
the family bag has double everything, so we have to take out and give make two single bags out of it. Yeah. That happens regularly here. And the money isn't there with the European funding that's given to the Midwest Simon to give to us. They ration it out as well because they cover in the Limerick area and Clare area as well. Mm -hmm. So we have to put in our figures on a quarterly basis saying, look, this is our projections. So there's a bit of a business calculation yeah. behind it all as well. But today we know we'll probably hit over 200 food parcels in two hours. Um, and that that's just incredible, but extremely sad. It extremely is incredibly sad. sad. Yeah. But what's really heartening is the attitude of, of volunteers here and yourselves you always make it a lovely atmosphere here yeah. you know it's never down and out and it's lovely to see students like John coming in mm. and the two girls who are yeah. able to see exactly what the situation is in reality and not have a preconceived notion of it exactly because you know they could be sitting beside their little peers in the primary school or yeah. secondary school and they have no idea that their mother might or father might be coming down in a 2020 car they live in a big house but they're availing of the food bank because they're cash poor yeah. and that's the reality of the situation. So it's all around confidence, non-judgment and a welcoming smile mm. because all of us are about one pay path away from that, yeah. you know, so. Sandra, well done on all your work here. Yeah, it's not, not just me, this Ali. year. I know, it's I know. Everybody. You're it's terrible to take credit. Will you just take credit this morning? Yeah, you yeah. do fantastic work Thank here, you. you and all the volunteers. And well done to everything you do to help families, Thank not you, just Ali. in Nina, but around our tip. Yeah. And we hope it won't be work you'll have to continue in 2024, but unfortunately you probably will. Absolutely. And all the best for 2024. Thank you. And could I just finally say, yeah. if anyone really needs a Christmas Day dinner delivered to them, please reach out to me. You can Google my name. It's not like Reverend Keith Barry here. There's a million views before it. Unfortunately, I pop up kind of on top. It's not saying I'm unique. It's just uh, Sandra Farrell is not a, a popular name. But my mobile number is there. If you want a dinner, please call me. And even if it's a family, I can give you a voucher maybe if you can't afford a Christmas uh, turkey or ham. We can help you out. Yeah. So don't be ashamed. Just call me. Absolutely. Okay. Pat, I'm coming over to you. Warm up those vocal cords, lad. We're going to start singing. What, what did we pick? Mary's by child. Off you go. Mary's by child, Jesus Christ, was born on Christmas Day. Long time ago in Bethlehem, so the Holy Bible says. Mary's boy child, Jesus Christ, was born on Christmas Day. Hark now hear the angels sing, a new king born today. A man will live forevermore because of Christmas Day. While the shepherds watch the flocks at night. And there we leave uh, the gang there from Loretto House on Kenyon Street in uh, Anina. And uh, thanks to Ali and Sandra and everybody there for the tremendous amount of work that they're doing. Councillor Jamie Morris was on to say, extremely proud of uh, Sandra and all of the volunteers there doing such great work. News and information is coming up. Tip FM's Tip Today with Fran Curry In association with Slattery's of Pecan, Tipperary's main Peugeot dealer. Slattery's Garage. Uh, welcome back to Tip Today. Big response to Ali's piece there from the food bank in uh, Nina. But one of our listeners really, really uh, summing it up, I suppose, and saying all that poverty in a wealthy country, Fran, even the government acknowledges that we're a wealthy country. So what is wrong? And it's a very important uh, question, I'm sure you'll agree. 1800 938 007. Now, we have that €100 Euro voucher to give away. 
to be spent at uh, lovely Dove Hill outside of uh, Carrick and Shore. We have a question for you as well. So what are you supposed to do when you find yourself under the mistletoe? God, it's it's too difficult, Fran. What what are we going to do? So text and WhatsApp your answer. 083 311 What are you supposed to do when you find yourself under the mistletoe? Now, University Hospital Limerick uh, remaining the most overcrowded hospital in Ireland. 21,141 patients lacked beds in 2023. Needless to say, other hospitals faced significant overcrowding uh, as well. To talk to me about this, I'm delighted to be joined by, by uh, Padraig Colbert, who is a, a frequent uh, contributor to the show. Padraig, good morning to you. Good morning, friend. How are you? Good to talk to you today. You're making some interesting observations on this. Um, some of them, you're saying the Department of Health and the HSE, if they're left to solve the problems, there won't be a solution. Yeah, I think, well, is it Einstein who said the definition of insanity is um, keep doing the same thing and expect a different result? Yeah. Uh, and I think that might be the case here, but I'm going to almost argue against myself now because the caricature we have of the in our heads of the HSE is this bumbling, you know, stultified organisation that can't really achieve very much uh, and that there are long-standing problems that they haven't really been able to deal with. And that's not really accurate, and there's plenty of evidence for that in the recent pandemic where, you know, for example, PCR testing was, was spun up yeah. at centres throughout the country, People who attended them, you know, spoke of how efficiently they were run. Staff were produced or procured out of nowhere to man all of those. And then a massive vaccination machine was spun up by the HSC. But it was farmed out, Podrick, was it not? Well, a lot of it... See, I wouldn't rule out even what we're doing now being farmed out, or the mm. problem we're talking about. But it does show that the HSC can energise when there are certain factors. Yes. Place. The key one for the pandemic was it was perceived as a crisis. Mm. It was a perceived as a risk to life. Yes. And they're not perceiving, I don't think anyway, they don't seem to be perceiving the, the delays in hospital admissions as causing deaths. And I think the evidence is that those delays do cause death. Mm. Uh, but, the, but the sense of crisis is not there to do something about it. So what I'm suggesting is you need to take it away from the mandarins who are, in a sense, responsible for what happening now get your pwcs in or your eys or you know get in your private health sector get in your unions get in all of the stakeholders into something that's not run by the hse that's not run by the department of health and the recommendations from that commission it, wor- it should work urgently should go directly to cabinet so that it, you know its recommendations or its ideas can't be diluted or uh, mm. you know so a multidisciplinary sort of a commission, is that, is that what you mean? Well, exactly, because some of this is logistics. Some mm. of this is about space, like the space in Nina, the space in Cashel, the space in Ennis, maybe being used for triage so mm. that people who would probably not likely need hospital admission anyway don't end up in the same queue as people who do need hospital admission. But that's more about planning and logistics and you know, Lean Six Sigma or all of those theories that are there to manage processes and to make processes mm. as efficient as possible. And, and, and wouldn't think, the first thing be to hold your hands up and admit, look, we've gotten it wrong, largely, 
and, and we have to look at it afresh. Wouldn't that be healthy? <laughs> <laughs> you're, being, you're being mischievous now, friend, suggesting that anybody in the HSC or the Department of Health yeah. is going to do, yeah, sorry, we got this wrong, folks. <laughs> no. Look, it would be, I think, look, politically, politicians don't like the heat coming from this. So I think it's probably acknowledged there is a major problem there and it has been gotten wrong. But like you just, it you know you hear it in technology here the the idea of a disruptor, a disruptor is something that just changes the way we always thought or yes. the way we always yeah. did things. That's what's needed here, and the disruptor won't come from the mandarins who manage the current beast. It's got to be fresh thinking, uh, and even looking at other jurisdictions. I mean, surely there are health systems around the world who have. You know, mm. come up with a way to manage the seasonality of some conditions like flu and so forth. Mm. What have they done? Are we, you know, are we look, learning from best, best practice around the world? Well, we we don't we don't seem to be because uh, just reading in the papers today, there's some sort of a bid now to clear beds uh, today for the Christmas because we're expecting a, a lot of patients in early January. Uh, so. Yeah. You know, and that means putting off uh, surgeries and the and the like it, too. It, it does, and look, it's a multifaceted problem. Like I remember a good few years back, there was a threat to Clunaran in in Tipperary yes. town, the HSC, where we're rationalising or something. And now it was it was saved at the end of the day. But mm. I remember looking into at the time the cost of a bed in in an acute hospital compared to the cost of a bed in a in a respite or in a, a step down facility. One is a fraction of the other, and surely investment in step down will clear beds to to facilitate more admissions where people are simply recuperating but not good enough to go home. Yes, so I just think if there's a broader look, and and I would bring in you know the nursing home sector into that commission as well. And the managers of places like Stepdowns, like St. Patrick's. In, of course, in but Cashin, we, we, have, we have less nursing homes than ever before. We we saw what happened then with St. Bridget's in, in Carrick and Shore, yes. which was an ideal step-down facility yes. when, you, when you think about it, you know. So we're shooting ourselves in the foot all the time, really. Well, again, like when you put metrics on an organisation and you reward people for meeting those metrics, you get what you pay for. So if you say to the HSC, we want you to save budget, mm. we want yes. you to save money, not be as expensive on us, that's what they'll do. They'll close the St. Bridget's and they'll close the Ennis's and they'll close the Nina's and the Cashins and all of that. And they'll be praised for it with, 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 by the Department of Finance for those savings. But if what's not seen then is the human cost of yes. not having access to those facilities. Yeah, I, I, whether he meant to do it on the day or not, I don't know. But, I mean, we've mentioned it lots of times that uh, the current Minister of Health admitted on this programme that the reconfiguration and UHL being being centred as that centre of excellence, um, it it didn't work. It, it doesn't work. No, it doesn't. And what's bizarre, because it, the HSC didn't work. You know, when we yeah. had the health board, yeah. we all thought, oh, if you look, all these politicians going to endless meetings, have, you know, yeah. everyone and anybody on the health board. But it worked better yeah. than a single organisation. Now, they would say to you, of course, that, you know, the population has increased considerably since the time of the health board. So I suppose we have to factor that in as well, Baldrick. Yeah, um, but you'd imagine with the growth in population was also the growth of income tax and the resources necessary to provide greater services. Mm. You'd imagine. Uh, are you hearing, uh, I, I said this to Conor Reedy the other day, because it's Christmas time and I suppose we'll try and look for the positives in some way. 
Are you seeing anything that would lead you to believe that there is some kind of a vision emerging or some sort of an answer, anything? In, in, in health context in, in health, generally? In, in, in health well, first of all, in health context. Specific health first, yeah. so. Okay, yeah, no, I don't, to be honest. Um, I don't, anyone I meet, you know, you get anecdotal from people say, oh, I didn't want to go into hospital because I knew I'd be there 10 hours, know, 12 yeah. hours, yeah. sitting on the chair. So how many, how much healthcare is being prevented by what's happening at the moment as well? And, you know, you often read about the risks of, you know, go and get it checked out. But yes. going and getting it checked out for something that a GP can't maybe manage that involves imaging or some other form of testing. If people are putting that off because of the ordeal of sitting in an A&E for 12 hours on a plastic chair, um, you know, what are the health consequences of that? So, unfortunately, I'd love to have a lovely Christmas cheer message. That well, I well it's, it's not there. But but at the moment, the hospitals are encouraging people to, to avoid going into them, and uh, unless yeah. it's a genuine emergency. But how can a normal person, Podrick, uh, decide what is a genuine emergency? If I have chest pain, is, is it indigestion or is it a heart attack? Yes, exactly. You know. and, and there was a GP, I think he's very prominent in the, in the UHL uh, campaign, he said the HSC and hospitals should not be saying to people, do not present unless it's something yeah. serious. Yeah. Because, you know, if they could self-diagnose, they'd all have medical degrees. Of course, know? yeah. Yeah. Uh, it's, it's a, there's a story, I'm not sure if you got a chance to see it, in, in uh, the Indo today, a man with a, an autoimmune disease. He was transferred um, onto a ward at University Limerick where, where a virus had broken out. He had been in and out of the hospital for the past 13 years and had seen conditions in the hospital uh, just steadily deteriorate. And he was just uh, 16 hours on a chair before he was... Uh, yeah. uh, in, in, an, in an environment that could compromise his autoimmune just situation. Yeah. Look, I suppose you, you did ask for a sort of a ray of hope, and it's a persistent ray of hope. The one thing that you that there's universal agreement on seems to be that we are blessed with the frontline staff that we have mm. in, the, in the HSC, the nurses, doctors, everyone from porters to receptionists are doing fantastic work in really difficult um, circumstances. Yeah. But, so, but the headlines on, the, I think it was the Daily Mail on Tuesday, said there's an exodus of healthcare um, professionals yeah. uh, heading for Australia, for example. Yeah, yeah. and look, it, it, it is a, you're talking about an age group, usually those who start out nursing, they're typically fairly young yeah. and therefore mobile. But I, I, I met um, a nurse who was, works in the private health sector and she was moving to the HSE and I said to her, why are you doing that? Surely your conditions of work, the environment is better in private. And she said, yeah, the pension. That's, that's really all that the it has to offer. Yeah, she says, a terrible place to work. But, but, but there is the pension. The pension. Yeah. But, but as you said, young people, though, very young people, I mean, the pension seems so far off, I suppose, that thing. It does, yeah. You know? Yeah, Patrick, can I wish you a happy Christmas? And thanks for your, your, your many contributions to the programme uh, during the year. Many happy returns, friend, to you thanks. and everyone at Tip FM. Thanks. Bye-bye to you now. And that's uh, Patrick Colbert uh, speak to us this morning. 83 And uh, you can speak to uh, Emma for free. That's a free phone number, 1800-938-007. Tip FM's Tip Today with Fran Curry In association with Slattery's of Pecan, Tipperary's main Peugeot dealer. Slattery's Garage Pecan, the name you can trust for over 50 years in the Premier County. Slattery'sGarage.ie. Now, staying with that conversation around hospitals and health, we're going to Paul now. Good morning to you, Paul. 
Uh, good to talk to you today, Paul. You think some hard decisions are required at this point, Paul? I do. I mean, this new boss of the HSE has said he, he won't be taking advice from the government. I mean, who pays him? Mm. I'm sure to God, uh, I have to be honest with you, in that position I'd be inclined to say, either you do the job or here's your card. We'll get someone who can do the job. And do you think that there's an element of the HSE being a law unto itself, Paul? Absolutely. They, 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 uh, it's their own little kingdom. Mm. That, that's the bottom line of it. Uh, what needs to happen, basically, is... I, I tell you, I think what you need to do is let that forensic accountant loose in there to find out where the money is going. There's loads of money going into it, but where's it going? And do you think it's been wasted? Yes, absolutely. Yeah. And, and you say some practical decisions are made. If it was up to you, what, where would you begin? What would you do? Well, I'd begin by getting rid of the HSE. Well, obviously, you, have to, you can't put something out without putting something in its place. Mm. Bring back the health boards. Let, give reasonable autonomy. Because yeah. uh, then you can say, well, that, that reason there, that's your Make that work. Yeah. Count for every penny. Uh, I mean, the classic thing is UHS constantly overcrowded. Yeah. But I mean, if it has to do with North Tip and Clare and Limerick, what chances have got? And I think you're making uh, the point that every county needs an accident and emergency department uh, up of, and of running. Some type, yeah. Yeah. Centres of excellence are great, and they are necessary. But that's—I don't imagine 100% of the patients go to A and E need a centre of excellence. Yeah, but if that's in specialist medicine, like cancer, for example, or heart disease oh, yeah. or whatever, but, but yeah. The average person going to A&E, for the most part, isn't going to be suffering those kind of ailments. Yes, yeah. You know, they have, they, 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 they're playing football, they sprain their ankle, or they, the child fell out of the tree, you told him not to climb, and he's he broken his arm. Yeah. You know, so uh, we, we don't need major league A&Es all over the place. But you need someone who can, uh, someplace that can deal with the day-to-day business. And I put it to Podrick when I was speaking to him a little earlier on. Do you see any light at the end of the tunnel? Is anybody talking up a vision that they have that might fix this in some way, as far as you're concerned? No. No. I think, basically, the minister is terrified to uh, come down hard on the HSE. Yeah. And say, look, you're getting the money, you're there to do a job. You're not providing the service. So if you can't do the job, you'll have to go and get somebody else in who can. All right, Paul. All right, That's Paul. There, there's a bit of background noise there, so we let you go. But happy Christmas to you, Paul, and thanks for coming on with me uh, today. 83 311 uh, One of our listeners uh, on to say, I would like to congratulate Irish Water and Tipperary County Council for fixing the leak in Gortnehoo Village. It was first reported 18 months ago, and it only took one digger, eight men, three days of taxpayers' money. Well spent again. Thank God, says one of our listeners. So I think tongue might be in cheek there uh, somewhere along the way. Only three, three, double one, double three, double one. All right, let's go to Paddy. Paddy, good morning to you. Good morning, Frank. How are you? Good to talk to you today, Paddy. And a happy Christmas to you. And many happy returns to you as as well. Um, you're concerned, really, about, I suppose, the, the pay, the, the payments that, that pensioners are getting. 
It's a disgrace. Yeah. Right? These coming into the country, I get 220, they get 320. Well, my understanding is that they, they get 220 in, in the case of the the Ukrainian uh, refugees and other asylum seekers get 38, 80 as far as I know. So they're getting as far as I know, they're, yeah. they're getting 100 more than I get. Yeah, I, I, I don't think so. But either way, two hundred. what is it like to live on 220, Paddy? Could you live on 220? No, right? I could not, Paddy. No. And they not. expect me and people like me to live on it as well. Yeah. And how how difficult is it? I mean, if you if you're budgeting two hundred and twenty for a week, how how does that work? <laughs> you 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 can figure it out yourself, friend. Like you don't need to be a, an expert in it, you know, yeah. to, to do that. Like you know, but anyway, I I got a bottle of gas there last week, cost eighty euro on them big big big, big ones. Yes, and I got a washing machine uh, that that blew up uh, four hundred and fifty. Jesus, should should I just that's for 550 nearly all And how do you manage for for, for, for for that? I mean... Yeah, but could, you, could, could I ask you something personal? Uh, yeah. Fine. Yeah. How much is Martin and and, and, and that uh, Leo, whatever you call him, Leo, or I could call him Rodney. Leo, Leo, Leo Bradcar, the T-shirt, yeah. yeah. How, much, how much are they getting a week, could you tell me? Well, they're getting an awful lot more money than you, that's that's for sure. I think they're well over 200,000, I think. They're, in, they're into thousands, they're yeah. not into hundreds. Yeah. yeah. And I, I know that. And, and it is a t- t- and anyway, all these coming into this country, hmm. this, this, is, this is a disgrace. And what? I, I live in Torles. I went down to town there yesterday and I'd say about three to one of, of, of our own for and and wh- why does that concern you, Paddy? Why are you concerned about that? Yeah, I am concerned about it. Yeah. I gave years away. I, I went around this country all my life. I gave years away in England. Mm. You know, I know I know what it's like with, with them. And I know all about them. And what about, I mean, the fact that you went away to another country to make a living, does that not put you on the same basis that other people are no, here? Then? No, no, I went, I had to pay to go. They have everything paid to come here. Yeah, well, you see, they'd say to you that, you know, they're here under unfortunate circumstances. They're coming from war-torn areas. or you know. I, I bet you there's none of them living near Martin. Or, but he's a Jew anyway, that, that, that Leo Baraka. Well, no, 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 he's not. And anyway, we don't want to get into slagging off. Yeah, I know, I know that. I mean, but, you, you don't want to get into that, I'm sure, Paddy, do you? I do, but, but listen, yeah. I know all about... I know all about it because I've, I've been I've been away. Yeah, and when wh- at what stage did you come back home? Uh, sorry. At what stage did you come back home? Did you come back home after quite a while away? Oh, I, I was for, uh, fourteen years, and uh, I was in England in in '63, uh, like. Right. Okay. And what was that like to be Irish in England in the 1960s? I never had a bit of problem. Did you not? No, I did not. No. Yeah. And what about that thing of no Irish need apply here? You didn't, you didn't I, see that. I did see that, but I, 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 just very few places I did see it. Right, but you were accepted over there, Paddy. And I suppose some people might say to you, "Why shouldn't we then accept people here?" Yeah, but why? Well, why should we? Yeah. Does that does that does that Matt Martin does he ever make a mistake? Michal Martin. Yeah. The tarnished. Yeah. 
He's always right because no matter what you say to him, he has an answer for it. Yeah. And, and the two lads that 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 that, that poked their mind out may be expelled or suspended for eight weeks or something. These are the TDs who spoke out about what happened in Galway. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. They, they, they had a gut, not like a lot of them. So some of them in this town as well are the same, and they have they wouldn't have more, no guts to say what they said and to say the right thing. Well, you see, people, I suppose, in public life have to be very careful about what they say, Paddy, because they can't be seen yeah. to be racist or extreme yeah, in, yeah, in any way. When you, have, when you have a Hitler-like running a country, like, you know, you know what Hitler done years ago. Uh, that's a bit str- extreme now, is it not? Isn't it? Yeah. Do you think, that's, uh, do you think that is a, a suitable sort of comparison? I, 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 don't, I don't know. I don't know. Okay. I, like, I mean, anyone that I ever talked that I talked uh, about these You're saying to me that when you talk to people of your own friends, your own age bracket, and all that, are, are they of the same mind as you? Uh, yeah, anyone, they don't, any, any lab that I talk to, talks the same mind as me. And do you feel you're not being represented then in some way? Is that it? No, no, not be these grabbers or whatever they like to call them. All right, Paddy, we'll leave it there, but thank you and a, and a happy Christmas uh, to you. That's Paddy there with some very controversial views. I'm sure you'll agree. What do you make of that? Uh, only three, three double one, uh, double three, double one. If it matters to you, it matters to us. Call Tip Today on 1-800-938-007. Tip FM's Tip Today with Fran Curry In association with Slattery's of Pecan, Tipperary's main Peugeot dealer. Slattery's Garage Pecan, the name you can trust for over 50 years in the Premier County. Slattery'sGarage.ie Time to talk farming. Deputy News Editor with the Farmers Journal, Katrina Morrissey, joins me. Good morning to you, Katrina. Good morning, Fran. Good to talk to you today. What is that about the potential changes to the Suckler Carbon Efficiency Programme? Yeah, so this has been a story, I suppose, that's been rumbling on for a number of weeks. Um, There were changes made by the ICBF to their uh, beef breeding indexes, and they're used by farmers um, to choose what sires they use on their cows, and it's also used to kind of grade their cows. And you'll often hear farmers talking about the stars, whether their cow is a one or two or three or four star cow. And that is a grading that is based on the ICBF indexes. Now, the ICBF indexes were reviewed a number of weeks ago and changes were made to the kind of calculations that underlie the index. And it drastically changed some of the ranking of individual bulls and also the ranking of individual breeds in comparison to others. And suckler farmers who were, you know, some would be pedigree breeders and some would be commercial suckler breeders. They're fiercely loyal to certain breeds. They're fiercely loyal to certain sires. And what it did was um, those changes um, actually downgraded some breeds and some sires, and it had suckler farmers um, really up in arms in some parts of the country, particularly in the West, where they pride themselves on really producing these lovely, uh, well-fleshed weanlands that Mm. then get sold into the Midlands and the east of the country. Anyway, what also changed was the star ratings. And within this suckler carbon efficiency programme, there's a requirement to have a certain number of heifers and a certain number of cows reaching required star ratings. And the change in the index would potentially change the star rating, which could potentially put you out of the scheme, that you wouldn't actually be meeting the terms of the scheme. So 
uh, the change, and I suppose the news in the in the Farmers Journal front page today is that the minister has indicated that he doesn't want anybody to lose out financially in the scheme mm. as a result of the indexes. So that's all pointing to potentially that the the for the duration of the SCEP scheme that the changes will not be applied to the star ratings, and therefore, if your animal or if your you know your herd is in, it will stay in regardless of the changes. Um, so a lot in that, Fran, but but it's basically some good news, I suppose, for farmers who felt that they had been hard done by by the index changes. Right, how that they might lose out, I suppose. You and I spoke about the knackeries uh, recently and uh, some farmers possibly having to travel up north with their dead animals, but there's some um, there's some news on that as well, Katrina. Yeah, there was a breakthrough uh, late last week and the fallen animal collections now are, are back up and running again. The Department of Agriculture seems to have intervened between uh, mm. the NACRI operators, the animal collectors. Even though they said they wouldn't, but anyway. It, yeah, yeah I, I think they might have revisited that decision at yeah. some point um, at the site of potentially um, dead animals piling up in yeah, yards yeah. with nowhere to go. Um, so they intervened. They had talks with both sides and as a result there is a, a truce um, hopefully a long-lasting truce. It seems that um, the rates, that the, the subsidy rates from the Department of Agriculture for rendering of certain animals, um, which, as we spoke about before, is related to Ireland's BSE surveillance testing programme, um, that they were increased and that, as a result, the NACRI operators, the animal collectors, don't have to pay all of the hike in charges that they were facing. And it was considerable. They were facing, in some mm. cases, you know, 50, 60% of a hike. Mm. Um, so that's good news, you know, because it's it's an important system. It's an important, obviously, our BSE tracing is hugely mm. important. But as a, um, you know, where you have livestock, you have dead stock, and farmers have to be able to dispose of them correctly. And that is through the animal collection system and subsequent rendering. Mm. It does point out, though, the, the importance of the knackeries, uh, doesn't it? You know? Oh, hugely important. Yeah, yeah hugely important. Because... You know, we we just don't have the option to bury animals, yeah. and you know the volume. You know, there's there's some. Look at springtime is where you know calving, lambing. Um, it's it's the peak time of yeah. year, so this row really did have to be resolved before the spring. So some good news on that front. Yeah, but bad news that uh, TB resurgence over the past decade decade has been considerable, Katrina. Yeah, that's right. So uh, Noel Barden has looked into the figures and the number of reactors identified in the 11 months up to the start of December was 26,600 head. And that's the highest they've been in 15 years. Um, some of that will be related, obviously, to a, an increased herd, but also the, the reactor rate is higher as well. So about 61% of the reactor cows this year have been dairy cows. And that would be indicative, I suppose, of the high proportion of dairy in the country as well. Mm. Um, but it's it's gone up every year uh, since 2013 and then on the suckler side you've over 6,600 uh, suckler reactors for the 11 months of the year so far um, nobody wants TB uh, nobody wants TB nobody wants TB in, you know, near them um, because obviously you're facing sure. the loss of some animals or maybe your entire mm. herd and it's, it's devastating both financially and mentally for farmers who lose their entire herds uh, I was very interested in that story about the non-native uh, beetle found in, in County Clare. Well, what is that about? So this is, um, I suppose, 
it's the latest in a series of of what we'll call um, there's a alien species, mm. uh, non-native species. We're we're very familiar with some of them. Um, you know, the rhododendron on the on the Knockmill Downs is a, is an alien species. The um, non-European bark beetle has been found in uh, six traps in County Clare. Why is that a problem? It's a problem because non-native species can bring diseases. They can cause damage in their own right. We've already seen the impact of Dutch elm disease. Um, mm. We are seeing currently, and we'll continue to see for the next number of years, the devastating impact of ash dieback, and calarifraxia. And, and the, the danger is that these beetles is another, I suppose, indication of potential damage to trees um, and obviously loss then to both biodiversity, loss to, um, you know, the landscape, loss to farmers where it is a a commercial forestry enterprise. It's a very interesting story, though. The National Biomethane uh, Strategy, there's a delay there. What, What does that mean, that delay? Well, it means another frustrating number of months for anybody who's interested in developing either an anaerobic digestion plant or seeing the country meet our climate targets. Mm. Um, Because the anaerobic digesters, you know, the plan is that we rapidly increase the number of of digesters in the country, that that helps to mitigate our greenhouse and our, our carbon footprint in the country. It's a key part of the government's plan and therefore our plan to reach our climate climate targets and now it's been delayed until at least the new year. Um, To put some numbers on it, I suppose the government has said that they want to have 200 AD plants in the next six years. Mm -hmm. Until this strategy is rolled out and, you know, within that there will be planning, I suppose, and the planning system in this country is already very, very slow. Mm Um, there will be hopes that the strategy would, you know, maybe be able to fast track in some way developments like this. Um, so very frustrating, I think, for anybody who's involved in that industry and wants to see agriculture involved in that as well. So uh, they'll be really putting the pressure on, I think, in the new year. Yeah, I would imagine that they will indeed. On, on a light note uh, to finish, um, we now know what uh, the farmer's favourite Christmas song is. That's right, yeah. And uh, drum roll, please. Um, no surprise that it was uh, Tipperary native Shane McGowan's fairy tale of New York. Um, we asked our readers, um, we gave them a couple of options, 1,400 Farmers Journal readers, and Shane McGowan brought it all home with 60% of the votes for that famous song with, with um, Kirsty McCall. And no surprise, I suppose, it was, you know, the, the timing actually of the yeah, survey coincided, suppose, yeah. I think, with Shane's funeral. Um, and it's, it's a fantastic song. It, it's up on the charts every year anyway. Yes, for, for, for sure. So we'll be hearing that from every outhouse and uh, uh, milking parlour, that, that being sung by farmers, I would imagine. Um, Katrina, thanks for all the wonderful contributions during the year. And we wish you and the family the best for Christmas, Katrina. Thank you. Many happy Thank returns you. to you and all the listeners. Thank, Thank you, you. friends. Bye-bye to you now. Katrina Morrissey there, Deputy News Editor with the Irish Farmers Journal. And of course, it's on your shelves uh, right now, the Christmas uh, edition. Pat is joining me. Good morning to you, Pat. Morning, friend, and to all your listeners. And great to talk to you, Pat, and thanks for coming on with me uh, today. You're concerned around misinformation where refugees are concerned, and uh, uh, fear, I suppose, in communities, Pat. 
Yes, there's a, a couple of things coming in the media. One is the myth, uh, and Timmy Dooley was on about this, there's myth out there. Now, the myth is, and we, you have spoken about it and you've covered it quite well on your programme, is there's an awful lot of people coming to this country from areas that are not war-torn. So mm. this myth that Timmy Dooley talks about, this is the myth that I have a problem with. Mm. Now, the misinformation is we were told, and this is fact, at the start of this Ukraine war, if we concentrate on Ukraine, we were told that there were strict border controls, that anyone that was at fighting age, that they'd be held within the country and whatever, and they were there to fight the war. So we were led at that time to believe that there was vulnerable women and children uh, fleeing the war that were coming here and we were going to give them refuge. Mm-hmm. So this is the picture that was painted. Okay? Mm-hmm. Now, the fear in communities... And this is uh, justified, because if you have busloads of these so-called people that weren't going to get past our borders, that were supposed to be there to be fighting a war, if they're appearing in the middle of a night in a bus, it looks suspicious to any community. So, like, people are genuine in their fears, because this is all underhanded, done. But I remember, uh, I, I asked about that, Pat, at one stage, and I was told that some of the, the younger men are family men, and they have young families, and I think that there was uh, a different set of uh, rules where they were concerned. But I, like what I was saying to you a minute ago, the belief that we were told at the start of this is anyone that was able to fight this war in the interest of Ukraine, mm. that they were going to be held there. Anyone that was capable. Yes, they were even they shown allowed footage. to move. yes. Mm. Yeah, but they were even shown footage at the time, and I remember this, of women being trained to fire weapons, and some of them were finding it very difficult. Mm. So this is all the way the media uh, sold this. Mm. And, like, people have genuine fears, and, like, um, Timmy Dooley last night was typical of the way this country is run, and there was uh, he was trying to ram this down people's throat on that Tonight programme, and it was a disgraceful display of any political mm. representative, the way he conducted himself on the Tonight programme last night. What do you think of what the two Fianna Fáil uh, councillors uh, did where Galway was concerned? I mean, they went against the, the, the party line. And uh, look, let's get the condemnation out of the way. Nobody that I know of, and I'm sure I'm speaking of you as well, would have condoned what happened where the burning of that building was concerned. Let's get that out of the way. But what 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 did you make of the councillors? Um... Now, I believe they got it uh, on the chin from the people I believe, now this is only hearsay and this is not fact, okay? I believe on the ground that the people up there told them, you have let us down, you have put together uh, this scenario that I'm talking about earlier, men coming in the middle of the night. Now there's one area there, a rural area in Ireland and they have a thousand uh, population. They're out uh, done by seven to one. So that is a massive impact on an area. Now, what I feel sorry for is the people that put in so much effort in these communities, in the areas of tidy towns and everything, to enhance their communities. And then this onslaught of people uh, from so-called war-torn countries that we... Where this is really laughable now is that we're actually thinking about uh, they going home for Christmas. Now, if you got out with your life out of a country, the 
last thing you'd be thinking about is going home back there for Christmas. And this was said uh, by a person on the panel there last night on the Today programme that he can't understand uh, this. This well, is a, actually. A I heard a government rep answering that question, and what he be I'm paraphrasing, needless to say, now Pat. But what he basically said was, you know, if some women and children want to go back for a brief period of time, they might meet up with their husbands or their brothers or whatever who have been fighting and that they're willing to take that chance for that short period of time. Does that hold anything for you? Well, to be honest, Richard, you know the same as I know. If I was thinking of my life and if I was I fearing for life and if I came to a country where that was warm and comforting and that I had no fear, do you think I'd want to go back regardless of who was there? If the Pope was there, I still wouldn't want to go back because I'd be glad that I got out with me life. So, like, this is not holding water. This whole thing, and Timmy Dooley is typical last night, shoving this down people's throat, flooding. Now, I spoke to you in the past there about how our European Union is run there and it's basically a lot of this is coming from Germany. Now where this came up and this whole immigration, mass immigration came up is there was a headline there a couple of years ago that due to the aging population in Germany we'd need 60,000 people to fill the jobs uh, and this is where this actually started. So this is right across Europe. This is flooding Europe there and we have this, uh, what it is, is total greed. We have this flooding our countries with all these. Now, again, another. Yeah, but thing I was reading I in the newspapers today, I'm trying to find the article here now. I mean, the EU seems to be rethinking its whole policy on immigration uh, now completely at this point. They're rethinking it because, like the people of Galway, the people of, of Galway are basically saying this is not adding up. Like, wh- where this comes in there as well is if with the German thing, there are flooding people in there. There's people's lives and livelihoods being threatened here with this mass immigration. And, like, it, it, this is all for. The, the greed of the, of the rich and whatever to bring mm. in all these like another thing I can't get my head around if you're fleeing war and you're supposed to, and I said it to you before if you're in fear of your life and you're after fleeing war and the whole lot are you actually mentally in a position to walk? You are not so, like, this is not adding up on an awful lot of accounts for me. It's a total... It's it's actually laughable how mm. bad this is. And what do you make, then? I mean, I'm getting a lot of flack for having even conversations around this. What, to be fair to yourself, and I'm not rubbing up, I'm not that type of person, you're giving people like myself uh, air, uh, time to come on and talk about this, and we need to have discussions. But the Timmy Dooley last night, and why I was taught it was disgraceful, he was trying to close down any of these discussions. In other words, we're plowing on here with this uh, plan that we have of bringing in all these and uh, lapping up to the rich and, and and the greed of this world. And this is what have house prices as well. Sinn Féin are trying to address house prices. One of the things uh, that's not being addressed here is the amount that gov- the government are taking in house prices. They're taking 50%. So the yeah, government... But, but, are, but, but Sinn Féin, I mean, you mentioned Sinn Féin. Though. Sinn Féin are hemorrhaging support because of their stance on immigration and now I see there's a sort of a turnaround on it to some degree at least Um, you know so I mean that seems to be factual but like Sinn Féin are reacting because um, 
just people like me speaking out about mm. house prices and about the house. Like, this is a major failure of this government, is the housing in this country. We haven't addressed housing. Uh, we've allowed housing to go beyond people's earnings. So, like, you have people priced out of the market. So what we have allowed is a system to develop where you're not even earning enough to ever own the house, and we'll have control over you for the rest of our days. And this is the type of political model and we have destroyed when we're talking about we need these migrants coming in here because we can't fill the job we can't fill the jobs because people are leaving this country to tell you now straight up if i was any younger i'd be gone out of this country because they, i told you on a number of occasions this con it's sickening me the, the politics of this country and to see the young people that have brains and are looking at this it's actually laughable what's going on in this country yeah, it's interesting it's a different kind of people leaving the country now because they could have jobs here but they see no future here which is really they damning, don't. you know which is and like I don't want to be uh, as I said to you doom and gloom coming on here but we have to look at the reality we mm. have to look at the the society we're creating and I and Leo said this before that he was rewarding the people to go out to work it's not it's not coming across because mm. the people that are going out to work as I said to you but, before I mean you, it's interesting you I mean, you mentioned Timmy Dooley's performance uh, last night but I mean the, the, the councillors up in Galway, they're, they're his party. And so the grassroots of his party are at odds with what Timmy Dooley was saying. Sure, Leo said it at the last election. He said, we won't be going into power with Fianna Fáil. They've destroyed this country. And Timmy Dooley is an example of his carry-on there last night. The carry-on of him and the carry-on of Fianna Fáil and the destruction they have done to this country, uh, the people, we will never... And they're, all, they're on about how wealthy this, cover, uh, this country is. Well, wealthy because we're taxed the hell out of the people that are out here working and they're flaunting the money right, left and centre on refugees and on everything. But they forget where this money came out of. But the people that are making the decisions in this country never done a day's work. They were brought up with a silver spoon in their mouth. Now, well, you and can't say that about all of them. Uh, well, like uh, to be know. honest with you, I'm talking about the main political, the ones that are in mm. uh, the Timmy Dooley's. They never done a day's work in their, day, in their life. All right, Pat, we'll leave it there. And a happy Christmas to you and your family, happy, Pat. Happy Christmas, Brian, yeah, to thanks, you and all. Thanks, thanks very much indeed. News and information's on the way. Tip today with Fran Curry With Slattery's Garage, puck on. You can't beat experience. With over 50 years maintaining Peugeot cars and vans, we like to call ourselves the experts. Call Slattery's Garage for a free vehicle health check today. 067 24111 or slatterysgarage.ie Welcome back to the final hour of tip today. Our voucher for Dove Hill, uh, 100 euro voucher, going to Josephine Dunn from Carrick and Shore. Well done to you, Josephine. It's a nice... Uh, a nice prize there, and um, I'm sure you'll enjoy spending that at lovely uh, Dove Hill outlet there between uh, uh, Kilchelen and Carrick and Shore. Listen around to say, uh, speaking as a hospital employee, Fran, uh, what doesn't get mentioned enough are the GP referrals to A&E departments for simple and basic things that in the past were treated in practices pre-COVID. But now that they were given payments during COVID, they're now stuck with the habit of referring everybody willy-nilly to emergency departments. This must st uh, stop as we in hospitals are stretched to the max. Maybe ask a GP on to deny this. I think you might struggle. Merry Christmas and I love the show, friend. Thank you for that. 083-311-3311. Now, just a few sleeps to Christmas and we have to speak to our good friend, Mary Gordon. Good morning to you, Mary. 
Good morning, friend. How are you doing? I'm very well indeed, Mary, and lovely to, to talk to you. Mary, have we established that you're, you're Christmassy? I'm very Christmassy, friend. I give most of the week reminiscing on Christmas, Christmases gone by and um, visiting the graves with wreaths. And I love it, friend. And the kid, kiddies make it, my two grandsons and my family, of course. So I'll be doing the rounds now in a few days, please, God. Very good. And you can't help but look back at Christmas's past, I suppose, Mary, and I know you've been doing that. A big time, friend. Um, uh, especially growing up and my younger grandson, he's only six, gets a great kick out of me reminiscing and what did Sanji bring you, Nanny, and all this crack. And I get great mileage out of filling him in. He, his eyes just be standing in his head, friend. I think my, my son even thinks I was born in 1914 with the stories <laughs> I'm telling. <laughs> And what do you remember? Well, I mean, the first memories, Mary, of being given gifts at Christmas and Santa bringing gifts and all of that. What, what are the memories of that? Ah, oh, the memories are unreal, friend. As you know, I grew up in the middle of nowhere, like, and we woke up Christmas morning. Santa would have the two chairs beside the bed. The Christmas cake would be left out. My poor, long-suffering father, God rest him, would have the stuff left out for uh, Rudolph, not to mention the cake and the mm. drop of whiskey and that. And... I remember particularly my last uh, Christmas that Santi uh, visited friend. He bought me the book Little Women by Louise May Alcott. Yes. And I resonated with it particularly because in the story, there was four sisters, Meg, Joe, Amy and Beth. And in my own family, there's four sisters. So that book, I can smell that book it had a blue cover friend a picture of the four sisters on the cover in an oval shape and i can still smell the pages of that book and that was when i was 11 i'm 72 now so that springs to mind My and God. i but it meant so much to you mary the book and the oh, story and yeah friend i mean you know and then Santi decided uh to leave me a little note later on christmas day which I was devastated to explain that, you know, you're getting quite big now, so I may not be coming next year. So it went from a high to a low in a matter of hours, friend. But no great memories now, you know, I can smell uh, the stuff and watching my late mam, you know, getting the, uh, the bits ready on Christmas Eve, the candle in the window. All the lights, well, we'd no lights at that stage, we'd no ESP light, but going out the yard and just looking at the candle in the window and uh, midnight mass on Christmas Eve, and oh, it was magical, friend. We went on the nesting car and we went on bikes and we walked it and we muddled away through it, but fantastic memories. Aren't they? And you had no electricity, Mary. We had no electricity, friend. We had no bathroom. We had no car. We had no phone. We were like the Waltons, friend. <laughs> and what the younger people, I mean, you know, when you speak particularly to y- your grandchildren, what do they make? Can they even conceive they what that's like, they, you know? They can't even get their head around it, yeah. friend. Um, you know, uh, the way you can go around now flicking lights, plugging things in and that, you know, no phones. How did you manage, Nanny? Like, where did you get your shopping? I said, we literally had to walk down. Latra Hill, wait for a bus from Thurla, stop in the bus, do our bit, come home. And if you had a lot of messages, I mean, I remember my mother, friend, um, you know, going down to meet her when she'd have the shopping from Nina, God love her, uh, with the donkey and car, friend, turf a manage, and that was it. Up the oh hill God. again, <laughs> the poor ass struggling oh to God. get up the hill. 
we had no luxuries, friend, but we had everything else in abundance. We had nothing, but we had everything growing up. And uh, But you didn't feel deprived in any way, Mary, because I guess not, every, everybody not, was in a similar no. situation, I suppose. Everybody, we used, you know, I remember our neighbours getting the first television set, friend. We thought, you know, oh my God. With the way they are on mobile phones now, nobody is communicating or talking anymore to one another. We used to go down the road to a neighbour's house and look in the window at a little house in the prairie and the Waldens or whatever, <laughs> the Virginian. I loved the Virginian back in the day. Yeah. And, um, you know, it, there was no luxuries, friend, but we had big open fire uh, where I come from a very close-knit, bonded family. And, you know, looking back... We had absolutely everything. I would give me left arm to go back to it just for two nights. Yeah. And and do you think by comparison now when kids, I mean, God knows they have everything, I suppose, now. Everything. Um, but are they missing some, some elements of what you remember? Uh, they are, friend. It's a different era. You have to move the times. But they'll never know the magic of, I mean, there was 14 in my mother's family. Mm. And, you know, I often think back and say to myself, how in the hell did my grandmother cope with that much yeah. of a family? And they were all born at home, friend. But, you know, there was an abundance of love and closeness in the house. And we never felt a pride, friend, because my parents did without all the time to make sure my sisters and I had everything. And everything was small. But even at the time, we appreciated it and we thought, you know, I remember coming from school in Burris Lee and my mother saying, you know, sausages and mash, call cannon and dip gravy, whatever you like to call it. And we'd say, are you not having anything to eat, ma'am? And she'd say, oh, I've eaten. She wouldn't have eaten at all, friend. That's wow. the way it was back then. She would have been hungry herself, Mary, to make sure you were okay. My God. Yeah, they're cycling home from Burris Lee like five miles. They're starving the poor craters. And uh, I know she did without, friend. All the sacrifices... They both made, uh, you know, as we were growing up. It's now we appreciate it. And I say to myself, you know, did I, did I even throw my arms around her enough at the time and say, we know what you've done, but, you know, it wasn't out of lack of uh, saying thanks. But you take things for granted growing up, friend. If you're, if mm. you're brought up in a very, uh, you know, in the you-know-what hole yeah. of um, yeah. uh, tip, I look back with the fondest of memories and I still drive by that house and it all comes flooding back to me. I just sit in the car and ponder and think, Christ, what a time we had like. But weren't the women in particular, I know men were very hard working in those days, but women were amazing. I mean, they kept everything going on a shoestring with huge families, Mary. and Oh, they did. As I said, now my grandmother raised 15, uh, 14 of them, friend, wow. and they were all born at home. There was four in my family, and I don't know how they'd done it. Um, you know, when I was working in Dublin years ago, I remember no transport. I used to come back, go dancing to Las Vegas on a Sunday night uh, to be in work at nine. My mother used to run through two, three fields with me at six o'clock, five o'clock in the morning, friend, grounded to the earth, and uh, leave me sta literally standing on the side of the road. I might get a lift to Nina, I might get a lift to Ross Gray, get a lift maybe to Fort Leash from there, went into work looking like a drowned address. Um, but even that, uh, you know, I felt more sorry for her than I did for myself because she they just pushed the boat to the extreme limit to make sure that we were happy, we were fed with what they had. 
and they had little, but we never went short, friend. And I think back with them, I was up at the grave on uh, the other day with the reeds for Brendan's grave and mm. mum and dad, they're buried in Templeberry beside one another. And if anyone was looking off the road, friend, they'd say, the white coats will be on shortly. Now your one has gone to <laughs> pot. I was actually kissing the photograph of Brendan on the grave and I oh. sat on the side of I give about a half an hour above friend and I was actually talking out loud, reminiscing and thanking them for looking after me during the year because I was above in the beacon on Monday uh, to see the big white chief and all the talking and groveling I'd done above at the grave was unreal like but they're there and they're they have the shoulder or the hand around the shoulder at all times, friend. Of course. So and I'm how is the health, Mary? Are you all right? The health is okay, friend. Mm. Uh, the uh, the artery is hurting in great form, but as I said to Mr. O'Callaghan above my lovely surgeon, uh, I'm like something out of Ikea. I have to be assembled before I'm let out, but when I'm <laughs> let out, I have to be disassembled to get me home. <laughs> well, that's no, great. No, I'm grand, yeah. grand friend. Thank God now. I, I mean, yeah. I never felt better. Uh, they may be as good as 100% blocked, but uh, I'm off the... Uh, I'm off the danger list for another year and we continue watch your blood pressure, watch your cholesterol, the usual stuff like. Yeah, well, I, I, I'm glad you're you're okay. But you, you take it with a sense of humour, Mary, which is which is great, you know. Oh, uh, well, uh, a friend of mine said to me last night, you know, I was telling her a dirty joke and she said, that's lovely, all right, Mary Garden, coming up to Christmas. I thought it was hilarious, but I won't even go there. <laughs> There'd be priests ringing in saying, that one isn't in the spirit of Christmas anyway. But... Uh, uh, we were laughing. She was laughing harder than me, and she said, "How do you laugh with what you're uh, coping with?" Yeah. But if she was looking at Ireland AM this morning, I was looking for our. Uh, uh, they had they were in the children's hospital in Crumlin, friends, yes. and yeah. the, the stories that I looked at were horrendous. Yeah, I know. And they all smiling and looking forward to Santi and singing their carols and everything. Little toddlers, friend. Oh, God, it's Five, heart, heartbreaking, six, Mary. Yeah, Heart-rendering stuff. So the way I yeah. look at this, friend, I wake up in the morning and I pinch myself and I say, she's, she's, she's around for another day and we will make the best of it sort of thing. You have to laugh, friend, because if you don't laugh, you'll cry and crying gets in over. Oh, sure, absolutely. And uh, there's so much crying going on nowadays. It's, it's, sometimes it's hard to divorce yourself from that and say, look... You know, as you say, we're we're lucky to be here and we need to sort of enjoy ourselves while we're here and all of that, Mary. Yeah, and it's a yeah. particularly hard time of the year, friend, for, you know, I'm quite aware of families, um, not to mention your own friend. You know, it's, it's a hard time yeah. of the year. Everyone has uh, a little extra burden at Christmas. You know, yeah. members of family might be missing, but, uh, you know, they mightn't be your own friend, but uh, the bond, as I said to you before, on Messenger, the bond and the love, uh, no, nothing can kill that. Um, and the, they're there in spirit. That's what I say to myself, you know, mum and dad might be gone, Brendan might be gone, but I have my family around me. And look, things could be a lot worse, friend. You know, we could be outside. There's people in Milford Hospice this morning would give their left arm to be sitting at a kitchen table at Christmas and they just they won't even make it past Christmas like um, so look I'm, I'm going to take that advice on, on, on board when I'm when I'm on the pity pot as, as they say Mary you, you just reminding me of something. can you remember your first Christmas with Brendan can you remember that I can I can indeed uh, friend yeah it was um, magical I think actually we were down in Mam and Dad's and he was flabbergasted because 
they do things a little differently in uh, Dublin, uh, friends. So he always thought we were a mad shower and we like it. Say, Jesus, what are they going to come out of next or say next? I, why are you doing that? He always called my mother ma'am. Uh, he always referred to her as his mother. Yes. Uh, they were terribly close. And the same with dad, like, you know, they always held him in high esteem. But, you know, he was flabbergasted with all this um, tearing around the place uh, the Christmas Eve traditions with the candle in the window. There was none of that in the city, like, friends. Right, so, yeah, well, yeah. Not, not in his house, like. But, yeah. um, you know, he was... It was all so magical. I mean, he was talking about it for days, like. And then, of course... We were married in September, so uh, with the first Christmas, then obviously uh, two months later, uh, we were going round, bless the eyed and all in love and all that crap, yes. friends. Yes. <laughs> all love, all loved up, friends. Yeah, yeah, and why, and why not, Mary, and 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 why not? And what have you written to Santi? What's he bringing you, friend? You see, I'm hoping that he realizes how good a boy I was this year. So I, th- I think he's going to be very generous to me, Mary. That's my hope, anyway. Well, I'm hoping for something around six six foot two, friends, uh, with two dancing legs. And if it has hair on it, said it's a big bonus. <laughs> so let's put that out there to Santa Claus, Mary, and we, we'll we'll see what what happens. Can oh, I geez. can I ask I you what you're daughter. doing on the day yourself, Mary? Can you? Can I'm I spending it with my son, lovely daughter-in-law, and my grandkids, friend, and yeah. then I'll do the rounds in the evening, please God, uh, with. Uh, my own extended family, sisters, brother-in-laws, etc. So I usually do the rounds. I'm going down there. I'm, I'll am i give a hand to my daughter-in-law and um, uh, there's a, a new baby, please God, coming in the new year oh, on the brilliant. 7th of January or thereabouts. So it's all great excitement, friend. But no, just to be around uh, family and be together and uh, try and keep the chin up and put the troubles of 23 back in the background, friend. That's the job. Well, I, I'm delighted to hear that you're doing that. And Mary, thank you for everything during the year. And it's always a pleasure to chat to you, Mary. Thanks and a happy Christmas to you and, and to all of yours as well. Well, thank you so much, friend. And a very happy Christmas, if I may, to my family, um, my friends, everyone at Tip FM and you and your family as well. And may the crack continue for 24. I, I, I certainly hope it will. Look after yourself, Mary. Thank you and good you, morning. Good you, morning. You, to you too, friend. Thank you so much. God bless. You? That's my lovely friend, Mary Gordon, there uh, speaking to us this morning with some lovely um, reminiscing there. I'm sure you'll agree. Uh, 083 311 The uh, text and WhatsApp, of course, if you want to, to call us, it's a free phone number. It's 1800 938 or indeed if you want to email at any time at all even outside of programming hours it's tip today at tipfm.com Tip FM's Tip Today with Fran Curry in association with Slattery's of Pecan, Tipperary's main Peugeot dealer. Slattery's Garage Pecan, the name you can trust for over 50 years in the Premier County. Slattery'sGarage.ie Now, listen, says I'm listening to your show, Fran, and that lady Mary is a breath of fresh air. I hope she and all belonging to her and yourself, Fran, and your family have a lovely uh, peaceful Christmas. Somebody else saying, well, a breath of fresh air that lady is. I love uh, listening to her. Um, Fran, I heard you talking to Mary and it reminded me of the Christmas I asked Santa for a bicycle. And when I came down in the morning, I had an annual of Black Beauty 
and a jigsaw and I thought the world of it. I'm 74 now and I still remember it so well. And that's Mary Kay. Hello, Mary, in uh, Tipperary Town as well. And uh, my friend uh, Patrick was on to uh, wish Mary the very, very best of luck as well and uh, happy Christmas too. Um, all right, then let us move on because for this week's Down Your Way programme, my friend Eamon O'Dwyer is at the Thurless Carol service and he spoke to Anne Cummins uh, who was part of that event. I have to say everybody that's here tonight is, is coming on a voluntary basis and I think they just enjoy music, they enjoy being part of the church and they enjoy being here for Christmas. It's very special this time of the year. Yeah, we met you. Where did we meet you last year? I, we were singing, we were part of... Um, we, I met you in Love Kunta. Yes, in Love Kunta. I spoke to you in Love Kunta last year as well. Yeah, so. very well... Well received and all of that kind of thing. Look at it was a splendid night and all of that. Happy Christmas to you and to yours. Yes, and many happy returns to everybody yeah. and Tip FM. Yeah, absolutely. Look at uh, we were here tonight. We were asked to come in. It's uh, just brilliant, uh, James Purcell, of course. It's, it's fantastic organisation. It's a wonderful night, as I said. Look at all the groups involved in it, all the schools involved in it, the work that the teachers put in. Um, and Marie Dewan was the musical director tonight. Mm. She led all the orchestra. An incredible job, an incredible just performance. It was like a professional performance there tonight, and it's just outstanding. As I said on the altar, the talent in Thurless is phenomenal. Yes. It takes leadership to do it as well. Well, we try our best, we do our best. It's nice to be asked, as I said. And Marie Dwan, congratulations and a happy Christmas to you. Thanks very much, Eamon. Many happy returns. It was really magic to watch and the performance of the kids and all the rest of Oh, it was super. Um, The Thurless Carol Service is always a a spectacular Mm. occasion, and uh, we go all out. We have so much talent in Thurless. Musically, everything, so it's a great night. You know, many of them there could contribute much, much more, just maybe one, two, most of them. And, uh, and a lot of them are actually in different choirs. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, no, it's great. And to the audience as well, they really played a part. Oh, all the congregation singing, led by Anne Cummins. Was, mm-hmm. We have congregations singing at Mass anyway at the weekends, so they're well used to it in Thurlis. Yeah, they're well trained as well. They're well trained. Christmas? I have a busy Christmas, but yes, I am looking forward to it. Yeah, just take a break is it a while? No, busy between weddings and different things to play at and I'll get through all the masses and then I can relax for a little bit. Good. Uh, do you have a group yourself? Uh? Yes, Anne Cummins and I are over the folk group, Thurlis folk group, so uh, we only took them over last year, but they're a super bunch, so uh, more than welcome to join from the age of 13 to 20. Oh, a lot of work. We have rehearsals every weekend and in fairness to the kids, they're super, they're there every week for practice and then we do masters after practice. So this is a special setting for you once a year, anyway, yes. for the most part. Well, I'm filling in for Mary Rose McNally this year, who's currently in Australia. Yeah, yeah. So, But look, it's been a privilege to do it, and uh, it was a great night. Congrats and happy Christmas to all your family. Returns. Thank you very much, Eamon. Pat Costello is with us. How are you doing, Pat? Well, Eamon, how are you? That's so bad. Have you had the cathedral choir last night, or are you just in yeah, the audience? I didn't quite make the cut, Eamon. Didn't Sorry. You? No, no, I had a daughter. She was an angel up on the stage during the nativity play. So. Wasn't it lovely, wasn't yeah, it? Yeah, it's great. A great evening, and such, such music in the town. It's unreal, isn't it? Isn't and it the sounds, you know, all the groups. And yeah, the, yeah. They all sounded so brilliant. Yeah, a, a lovely feel-good factor to the lead into Christmas, and, and yeah, great for the kids and older folk as well. Yeah, Beautiful great. evening. Yeah. Peter Lennigan and John O'Gorman are with me. How are you doing, folks? Congrats on a great night. 
Thanks very much, Thanks. Eamon. Thanks, Eamon. Thank you. Happy Thanks for being here now. Yeah. Happy Christmas to you guys. Uh, Many happy returns. Yes. Oh, yeah, the most of it over now with, uh, with, the, with the planning of this event tonight and uh, you know, just celebrating Christmas now is the next bit. Well, no, we still have a little bit to go. We're rehearsing on Tuesday now for oh. a Christmas Eve Mass. Okay, absolutely, yeah. yeah. It's, 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 it's only special, wasn't it, tonight? Oh, it's fabulous, Eamon, it was, yeah. And it just goes to show the amount of music we have in Thurlistown and in different choirs we have. It's great. Yeah, it yeah. is. And everybody's willing to come on board and, and help out on an occasion like this. Mm. Fantastic. You bring with the kids was just unbelievable. Well, we have a fantastic bunch of young people, both um, primary school age and secondary school age. So the folk group are the secondary school ones. Yeah. We were lucky enough to work with the youth choir, and they're between nine and twelve, and they are so committed, you know. And they're coming from all different areas of the parish and just practice every week and give everything and do everything at family mass: read, sing, act, everything. Yeah, we're trained into it. I suppose we're lucky. We enjoy working with them, the three of us who do work with them, and it's a privilege. It's a privilege to work with young people. You're involved, John, with choirs for most of your life. I am. I am, Eamon, nearly 35 years now, I say, at this stage now. Yes, yeah. yes. <laughs> a long time now. Between, yeah, between Bonave Choir and uh, the Aston Choir, uh, and then, of course, with the family choirs, the youth choir as well, yeah. too, in the last about 10 years or so, yeah. isn't it? Theatre about that, yes. Yes, <laughs> probably longer. Come to your kitchen in the springtime. Oh, yes, please, God. Yes, it'd be great. Great to see you out there, somebody. Yeah, yeah. And yes, yes. Yeah. Working country music. She is. She's doing great now. She's, uh, yeah, she's, she's recording different songs the whole time, so she is, you know. Yeah. It's really yes. Happy Christmas to you guys yeah. and every Thanks, success. Yeah. Thanks, Thanks very Eamon. much, Eamon. Yeah. That's a little taste of this week's uh, very seasonal Down Your Way programme and you can hear it in its entirety from uh, 10am on this coming Saturday. Now the sale of vapes and e-cigarettes to children will be banned in Ireland. Uh, the ban will cover the sale of nicotine inhaling products to those under the age of 18 from tomorrow Friday. Um, from then it will be an offence to sell nicotine inhaling products to a child with a fine of up to 4000 uh, euro and up to six months in prison. Uh, the Minister for Health, Stephen Donnelly, said he was committed to bringing the move into law before Christmas and he thanked everybody for the support in passing the Public Health uh, Act. Now, Derek Cagney, you will have heard on the programme a number of times in the past, he is the owner of the Modified Vapes franchise and he joins me now. Derek, good morning to you. Hi, good morning, Fran. Uh, great to talk to you, Derek, and thanks for your time you. this morning. This is something you've been wanting to happen, in fact, hasn't it? Yeah, so we're only we're, we're thrilled with this with this news. Um, we were bitterly disappointed it took so long, but yeah. finally it's got over the line, you know. Yeah. What, why so? Why so important as far as you're concerned, Derek? Because we might be forgiven for thinking, well, you'd probably make bigger profits if you could just sell uh, vapes willy nilly. Why? Why is this important to you? Well, look, it's a free for all at the moment. We as a company would have never never um, sold to anybody under 18 anywhere. Mm. But this, this new regulation is going to stop it's going to stop the the, the, the pop-up shops and, and, you know, a lot of these uh, other shops that don't seem to, to mind, you know. We, we, we'll end up having control of the market again and um, uh, it will protect our, our youth, you know. My only concern is policing this because, as you say, these pop-up shops seem to be everywhere, Derek. Will it be hard to police? Look, I see the HSE have had huge inroads in the, the last few months. They've actually been visiting a number of stores throughout the country mm. in relation to TPD regulations. And they seem to be getting more strict and stringent 
in the in the last three to four months. Mm. Um, I think they are going to put a couple of different groups in in place um, to accept um, phone calls, etc., cetera, etc., cetera, in relation to complaints. Yes. Um, the police will now have the powers, you know, to walk into a place and say, you know, no, that can't be done. Yes. Or they didn't have that before. I'm sure there's a number of different people that will help uh, to stem it. You know. There are other moves that need to be made, though, I would imagine. Like, for instance, oh, the, 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 the quality of the vape, for example. And again, this is something you spoke to me about in the past. Are you still yeah. concerned about that? Well, look, there's going to be... The, the problem, Look, the two things I see stemming from all this is, number one, we've got to watch the black market. The black market is huge. There's a number of people bringing stuff in through, through the UK and other countries that isn't certified or TPD for Ireland. Um... That would be one of my concerns. Mm. But again, in, in a number of weeks, I've heard of goods that have been seized. So it shows that at the ports now, they are starting to step up to the market and seize goods that aren't registered for Ireland. Mm. And the second thing I'd be concerned about is online sales. Like if somebody goes online and purchases from a, a vape store online in Ireland, you can't tell whether they're 18 or not. You know, they'll ask you a question at the start of the page. Are you over 18? Yes or no? That's it. And you've complied with the law if that's all that's on your website. So you can't actually tell whether that person is over 18 or not. You know? Yeah, so, so there's a lot of grey areas. Yeah, so while you're applauding the legislation, there are ways around it, I suppose, is what you're saying to me. There is, Fran. But at the same time, the fact that they've stepped up the, the plate and, and started this ball rolling, now the legislation can be added onto and added onto. And we can see that the commitment is there. You know, even in terms of recycling disposable vapes. Mm. I mean, I was we were kind of hoping that they'd ban disposable vapes at the same time. Yes. That doesn't seem to be happening. But what seems to be happening now is we're all having to get involved with the, the recycling of these batteries and, you know, putting recycling in and signing up an agreement to say that we would adhere to, you know, bringing back these batteries so that they were disposed of correctly, you know? And and what about disposable vapes? I mean, what what are your thoughts on that? Because, again, that was much discussed. Well, I think, I think to be quite honest with you, I think the disposable vapes is what caused this um, surge in youth mm. um, vaping. Yeah. Um, prior to disposables, uh, vape vendors had full control of the industry because you needed no knowledge. You needed huge knowledge to sell a standard vape with liquid, but you needed no knowledge whatsoever to sell a disposable. Mm. So that made the, the market quite open to everybody, you know? And every retail store, every garage, every... Every 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 chain of a shop you can think of decided to bring in disposables. It was an easy way for them to make a, a profit. And just just to finish with, I mean, there's more and more scrutiny now. I think in the last few months on on vaping and more and more discussions on it and papers being written on it and stuff. Um, are you concerned though that the government that this may only be the start and there might be more regulation on the way where vaping is concerned? Um. I'm not, I'm not one bit afraid or concerned about it because what I think they're trying to... The achievement is set is good. I think they're going to introduce introduce licensing laws for retailers. Mm. Um, um, they're probably going to look at removing disposables at some stage, you know? Mm. We can't tell what's down the line, but what we can tell is the HSC are working very hard with every one of us to make sure that we all stay in line with the guidelines that are in place. Yes. And people that aren't staying in line with them guidelines are in trouble. And I've seen it. There's been a number of cases brought to court um, through the HSE already. So 
So I commend the HSE for their work. You know, right. I don't commend the government because it shouldn't have took seven years for them to pass an over eighteen, um, an over eighteen, over eighteen restriction on a product that contained nicotine. It should have never took seven years. Derek, it's always good to talk to you and we wish you well and a happy Christmas to you and your family. Happy Derek. Christmas Thank to you, you. friend, and Thank all you. the team. Bye-bye Thank bye you, now. bye-bye to you now. That's Derek Cagney there. Derek is uh, from Cashel originally, owner of the Modified Vapes franchise, speaking to me there about that uh, announcement that that ban is in place from tomorrow on the sale of uh, nicotine inhaling products or vapes to those under the age of 18. Join the conversation in Tipperary. Contact us through Facebook, Twitter, or email tiptoday at tipfm.com. Tip Today with Fran Curry. With Slattery's Garage, puck on. You can't beat experience. With over 50 years maintaining Peugeot cars and vans, we like to call ourselves the experts. Call Slattery's Garage for a free vehicle health check today. 067 24111 or slatterysgarage.ie. Now you're very welcome back and I'm delighted to tell you that we have some live music in studio because Larkin Kennedy is a singer-songwriter from Cashel Community School. Just turned 14 years old and already played uh, several festivals uh, this summer. And uh, as I say, he's with me in studio along with his lovely mum, Fiona, as well. Good morning to you both and thanks thanks for coming into us today. How are you, Lorcan? Good. How are you? God, sure, not so bad. No point in complaining and all of that. Tell me about you and singing and the guitar and all of that. You're a sporty guy as well, so tell me about the music first of all. Well... Um, I started in primary school when I was in about first class, but then our primary school closed down. So I kind oh, where, of where was that? Lorca? In Balak, in yeah. And um, I kind of gave it up then for a few years. And then around fifth class, some of my friends started doing it. So I said I'd join in and like I'd like to be able to play something. And you yeah. know, so yeah. I kind of started from there. And ever since, I've loved it. But the bug has really bitten at this point, hasn't it? I mean, yeah, yeah. I'm pure obsessed with it. Like I, yeah, yeah, I love it. So much so that you're writing your own music now. Yeah, um, okay. I started writing there maybe three months ago and this song has been a work in progress for a while but kind of just wanted to make sure the first one was as close to perfect as we could get. Right, so you put a lot of work so, into this. Yeah, a okay. lot of work. So this is your first song. Is this the debut of this? No, but yeah. people haven't heard this so Only far, Only a few family members. Only, okay, right. So, okay, so will you do it for us? Yeah. What's it called? Never Forget. It's oh. kind of about never forgetting your roots and kind of always coming back to home. Okay, and that's very important too. In your in your own time, Larkin. You got to give a lot to get Dream real big but never forget Where you came from I'm a teen with a big dream Just trying to make it mainstream I have grown and I have learned Every time I have performed My first gig in my home ground Music or hurling, that's where I'll be found And wherever this dream takes me However
Well done, you Larkin Kennedy there with his own song. Uh, it's it's very very good indeed. Fair Thanks play for, to you. Thanks yeah. very much. So what do you what do you want to do? I mean, is this going to be the career now, Larkin? Is that's that? the plan. That's the best case scenario. Yeah. yeah. So if everyone if everything kind of stays going the way it is, hopefully a few years time. Yeah, but you're going down the right track because yeah. I think that any singer you have to be writing your own yeah. stuff now. Yeah, I mean, you have to get kind of original stuff to yeah, really get out Yeah, I don't think it's there. it's any good anymore to mm. just sing yeah, other people's sing songs. Covers, yeah, sing covers. Your your mum was as well. Hello, Fiona. How Hi, are you? Friend. I'm and very you, good. You got mentioned in the song as well. But sure, look at it. The mummy doesn't get a mention. <laughs> Something's gone wrong somewhere. Isn't he fantastic? You must be so proud of him. Very proud of him, and more than that, just so happy to see him doing something that he loves and yes. that he's so passionate about you know it's it's a joy to watch him in action really the the biggest job is is reining him back a little bit because he's mad for road already right. you know so it's just you mean with the school and stuff that he, do you know he's yeah. flying it it's yeah, good. he's good yeah. now in fairness to him but he's just mad to get out on the road playing gigs and what have yeah. you know so he, he has to cut his teeth a bit first mm. I mean he started playing festivals during the summer and he hadn't even done a pub gig <laughs> you know so well, he'll start at the top why go not? harder go home well, why not indeed <laughs> is there music in the family Fiona? Actually, there would be, yeah. really. Larkin's laughing and nodding there. There yeah. would, sure. My own family were a bit like the Von Trapps. And, you know, <laughs> so... Yeah, yeah, exactly, yeah, exactly. Yeah. But he'd take all his musical influence, really, from, from Dennis, from from my fa- from mm. his father. Yeah. But... Um, but I, I, I'll, have to, I'll claim the talent. That's right. it, and, I'm saying and, it. And why not? <laughs> but he works so hard at it, so you can yeah. have talent, but if you're not working it... You're at nothing. Isn't that great? Yeah. Uh, you gave us a list of who inspires you from a songwriting point of view, and I was thrilled to see that John Prine is in there because yeah. he's my, my hero. A uh, 14 year old listening to John Prine, really? <laughs> um, I owe a lot of that to Dad, to be fair. Do you? Yeah. Um, just kind of nights, kind of just sitting on the couch, and Dad would have music up on the telly, and yeah. we'd be listening away, and you know. 
That's yeah. very, very good indeed. Who, who else do you listen to? Um, I love Zach Bryan. Yeah. I, I love Zach Bryan. He's just, I just love his style, American country. Like, yeah. I just love it. And is that sort of where you're looking to, that, that sort of American country yeah, style? That's yeah, that sort of kind of genre is yeah. where I'm going for. Yeah, you'd like to record, I'll bet. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Yeah. Is that next for you? Yeah, that's, that's the plan. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, you're writing your own stuff. It's it's just uh, fantastic altogether. Um, tell me about the live experiences and tell me about the the festival experience. Oh, it's just been unbelievable. Yeah. Like I'd say, my favourite one now personally would have to be the West Wake. Like mm. it's just so surreal, like being able to go up in front of all my friends and family, and be able to play in like my own home ground, like yeah. my own parish GA club. Yeah, and what about the reception you got as well? Oh, it was just unreal. Like, like all my friends were so supportive of me, and all my parent, my parents, and all my family did. A lot of them came down, and um, it was just unbelievable. And like Andrew Friday and Paddy Cohn, they were yeah. just unbelievable. Like they, I just came up to them with the idea, and they just made it happen like that, and it was unbelievable That's and they great. were so and supportive I know that uh, Michael Lowry invited you along then to Holy Cross uh, yeah as well, to, to the Cut Loose and, yeah. that was that, it was fair cool to be able to go backstage and experience it all mm. kind of happen and what they do before to get ready and prepare and yeah and did that give you the buzz yeah I, oh I, I like it's just I always like I feel like I wouldn't be anywhere else in the world yeah. in the moment and be up on the it's stage it's incredible and I know as I said at the top you're a sporty guy as well because it's either the hurley or the guitar yeah. you have in, in your hand so how how do you marry both or um, it's just kind of you know go like I love hurling like just being able to meet up with all your friends and yeah. just the feeling of winning as well I'd be very competitive yeah. but um, yeah it's just kind of a 50-50 like it's either is it? Yeah. Is it? Yeah, yeah, yeah yeah it's great now the only thing is for a guitar player to be out there with the hurley you could get a, <laughs> you could get an old tap on the finger every every so often yeah sure I have to take a risk here and there <laughs> I, suppose, I suppose will you do another song for us yeah yeah you're going to do a cover this time aren't yeah. you what what will you do? Uh, I'm going to do Jersey Giants okay. by Tyler Childers is his okay. name.
It's a very strong song, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, very strong. So he's another one of your, your yeah, your, your I love Tyler Childers as well. Yeah, yeah. There's, there's, there's four brothers, Fiona. Yeah, four boys God, in total. God, God yeah. bless you. Busy God, house, that's God for sure. You. Yeah, it must be yeah. a busy house. It is, yeah, indeed, it yeah. is, yeah. yeah. And, and they, it's all sport and it's all music sport, and, and and they all they all sing and play the guitar as well. But do they indeed? But sure. Yeah. They they never they're they're not as into it as Larkin is. They're all yeah. well capable, but um, Larkin is the one who has the guitar on the go the whole time. Yeah, that's great. Yeah, uh, a message yeah. in for you, Larkin. It says mighty stuff from Larkin. Fair play to you from Kieran Slattery. Uh, Larkin's next venture is on stage with the Multine players, <laughs> uh, but he he's wondering if we'd be able to afford you. <laughs> <laughs> tell tell him tell him Larkin's people, i.e. me, will contact his people, <laughs> i.e. him. What do you, do you do drama as well then? Uh, no, I kind of. Well, how would we describe it? How we describe it really, I suppose, because I'm involved in drama and multi players. Right, I'm good at yeah. pulling the odd sicky. <laughs> oh, is that it now? It's all coming out. Oh, it's all coming out on live radio now. Yeah, yeah but whenever I was practicing lines, Lark would be running them with me. So we used to ah. joke that he could understudy nearly every part because he knew everyone else's lines. <laughs> and were you ever tempted to, to do the drama end of things like Mum? No? Yeah, I wouldn't mind being, I wouldn't mind doing it now. Like, because, you know, yeah. just being the thrill of being up on stage in all parts, kind of. Yeah. The stage is really the thing for you, isn't it? Yeah, I yeah. just love being it. I yeah. love doing it. That's great. So what's planned for 2024 then? What should we know about? Um, I hope to go back to a good few of the festivals, hopefully all of them, mm. that I've played this year and just kind of get in a few pub gigs here and there and just kind of, it's all about, for me now, at the moment, it's all about just kind of building experience and mm. working yeah. my way up. And would you prefer to work alone or would you like a band or how? how I'd like the experience of playing a band for a while, but... Yeah. Yeah, I like the experience playing in the band, but I kind of I've been solo so long now that yeah, I'm kind of used yeah. to it now. Yeah, well, Christy Moore always said that he preferred solo, even mm. though he had some amazing bands. But it just was so flexible that yeah, you could you swap could, and change. Yeah, you kind of do, do whatever you do, want. Like. Do do whatever you want. Mm. Yeah. So, what about writing other stuff? I mean, are you you in the middle of that? Yeah, um, we're focused now on a Christmas song at the moment. Oh, right, get out okay. for next Christmas. And yeah. Stuff. So um, it won't be ready by this Christmas, unfortunately. Yeah. But, um, it's, it's lovely, though. It's really good. Yeah. Is it? Yeah. 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 Really I'm you, just kind of focused on kind of constantly jotting down ideas and kind of yeah. developing them then. That's great. And that's exactly how to do it as well. Because a lot of songwriting, I think, is sitting down and yeah. doing, doing the work. Just brainstorming. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And keep keep writing everything, you know, which which is brilliant. Well, we wish you the very best where all of that is uh, concerned. Are you all set for Christmas, Fiona? You're all... Oh, sure, I don't know. But it, it always comes together. It's like showbiz. It's always all right on the yeah. night or on the day. But nearly there. Look, the lads are good and they never have crazy expectations. And I yeah. try to keep it as real as possible. So it's all, it'll all be fine on the day. Yeah, I course. don't sweat the small stuff. Of course it will, indeed. <laughs> And are you all Christmassy? Do you look forward to it? I love Christmas. Yeah. yeah, I really love Christmas. I'm a Christmas jumper on me today. And <laughs> I do. I love Christmas. I just think it's a lovely time of year. And look, it's not lovely for everybody. I'm very conscious of that. But yeah. it's just, it's a time of year that, you know, you get the time to catch up with people and all those things. But yes. obviously, t- obviously you'll have all the lads around you. Oh, the lads will all yeah. be there. And so that's, that's the main thing, you know. But um, 
it's or it's it's more about for us it's about kind of like playing cards isn't it and yeah. and that gets a mention actually in the Christmas song hopefully we'll be back next year he can well I hope so debut his Christmas song well we'd, we'd love to have that happen in, indeed because you know if you can write a Christmas song that is a hit well yeah. you can sort of lay back in a sunny country for the rest of your life that's, that's the way it works but it's, it's a, a fantastic news so you have great hopes for the new year but uh, I mean you'll you'll be studying and you'll be doing all of that stuff as well will, will this be sort of distraction along the way for you? Um, maybe here and there. No. <laughs> yeah. No. I, no. I'll, uh, yeah, I'll, I'll kind of try and balance the two of them out, but yeah. this will kind of always get priority, don't be telling I me. And do you take part in the school concerts as well? Is that um, I I was going to go for the school musical this year, but just with rugby training and hurling training. Oh, you play rugby as well? Yeah. Good God. I was much. just kind of, I didn't really have time for the after school stuff and I didn't want to commit unless I could kind of fulfil it so All right. well look we wish you the very very best and I think you're very talented and lovely to see you today and you too Fiona my thank best you, to thanks you and the family and thank thanks, you. thanks and very much and to you as well happy Christmas to you and to thank all your you. listeners and, and thank you for the support it means everything to us thank very, you so much very welcome indeed and don't forget you promised no matter what happens during the year you'll be back here at yeah. Christmas to sing the brand new Christmas song for us alright we'll keep you uh, to that that's Larkin Kennedy and we wish him the very best of luck that's it for me Emma produced and uh, Ali looked after our content today Stephen's on the way with the Time Tunnel and we'll chat to you tomorrow for a very special sort of a show because it'll all be very Christmassy indeed. Look after yourselves, won't you? Bye-bye. Tip today with Fran Curry With Slattery's Garage, puck on. You can't beat experience. With over 50 years maintaining Peugeot cars and vans, we like to call ourselves the experts. Call Slattery's Garage for a free vehicle health check today. 067 24111 or slatterysgarage.ie